I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Scats. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. Hello, cats and kids. We're back for another episode of The Debrief. I'm your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and tonight I know it's going to be a banger because today's episode is all the cats and kittens are talking about in the internet streets. I was so glad to have hosted a substantial portion of the crew from the Revolutionary Blackout Network. Obviously, you've seen them killing it on their channel. You've seen uh, Sabby and Nick killing it on uh, the hill. And now you've seen the whole crew. I think everyone now has been on Bad Faith because Afini has been on a couple times before and JB was on an earlier episode. So I was glad to be able to close the circle. I hope you guys enjoyed the introduction as much as I did, or it's probably not an introduction to you, probably well aware of them, but enjoy, enjoy their first uh, time on Bad Faith as much as I did. I think that, you know, they really nailed a lot of the issues we've been talking about here with respect to how so many folks are feeling about electoral politics, etc. So let's just get to it. I see the queue is queuing. Eric, you're up first. How are you doing this evening? What's on your mind? I am good. Um, just had to say that was a great episode. I really enjoyed hearing um, the people from Revolutionary Black Network speak and their point of views. Even if I think I'm probably not exactly, I'm closer to them than I am to many other people in their politics and their point of view. I'm probably not completely to where they where they are at. But um, the one thing I wish I could have gotten a little bit more in the conversation is um, more discussion on what are the specific barriers to building third party movements and what are some of the strategies that could be maybe utilized to start? For example, I don't know, like, I would want your thoughts on, like, what do you think about, because um, I think it was um, Jay who said something that really spoke to me when he talked about how, why is it that uh, third-party candidates' goal has to be winning the next election 
while, mm-hmm. you know, the more conventional strategy, leftist strategy, they can have 10 years. Mm-hmm. So when he said that, I was like, okay, that actually is a good point. So I was wondering, what do you think of the idea of like picking like one or two states that may be the least um, offensive to a third party, you know, they don't have as many third party barriers and really focusing on those two states and say, let's see if we can, you know, get third party candidates in uh, local government and then, you know, have like a two year, three, four, five year plan whereby the fifth year we should have someone ready to run for Congress within that state. You know, so I think there's a little bit two things happening here. The first question, I, I think, I think maybe not, but I think when, what, what Jay was talking about in that instance was how people talk about um, the battle for the White House. And they say, well, you know, third-party candidates, you know, obviously it is going to be difficult to get into the White House, but if you can have a long-term strand, uh, sorry, plan for um, leftists working from the inside, why not have a long-term plan working from the outside? And I think on some level... Some people believe that it's not a long-term plan working from the inside when we're talking about the White House, that there can be a progressive who wins. And I think that might be right. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm pretty like pessimistic on the po- possibility of that, but I do think there's a world where things had gone a little differently in 2016 or 2020 and Bernie could have won. I think there's a, a world where a number of progressive candidates, some combination of Fetterman or I don't know. Marianne, Andrew Yang, somebody like there's, I can see, I can see it. It might be implausible, but I can see it a lot of different ways. So I think they're being a little bit, um, well, let me finish that loop. The problem with that is in other contexts, they're quick to say, and I think they rightly say that getting someone in the white house doesn't bring on the revolution because it doesn't address all of the structural barriers and moreover, without the movement energy behind you, the person in the White House doesn't have the mandate and authority to act in the interest of the people. And I think that's correct. So the, the second part of what you're asking is kind of the broader movement energy in these local, more local races. And I don't think – I think there's even more of a possibility of winning there, especially since there's a number of states that have ranked choice voting. And so, you know, we had Matthew Ho on the po- podcast. We know that there's ranked choice voting and um Maine and some other states around the country and I absolutely think there should be efforts and there are efforts there's plenty of green party candidates elected across the country New York keeps electing them at quite a nice little clip there and that's that's already happening and people can continue to 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 pursue that but I do think that and what Jay was talking about and I think rightly so was that people have different standards for electoral politics when it comes to um working within the Democratic Party versus third parties Um, And this is a version of what I said to Crystal, which is, you know, I get that it is a long shot from the outside, but you, I don't, I don't know that you're necessarily appreciate. I mean, I don't know that you're like accounting for that, the fact that it's very long shot from the inside as well. And also when you get there, what are you going to do? I see. I see. Um, Because I think that the, that's probably the first point you brought is probably where I'm probably because. I'm also someone who's not complete, like, I live in New York, and if you tell me Marianne Williamson is running in a Democratic primary, I am going to, if I have a say in maybe getting Marianne Williamson to the general election, and I can make a choice in that one, I'm going to choose Marianne Williamson in general election. I'm still someone who, like, I still see value in voting in a primary to try to get the best leftist person 
within the Democratic Party to the general election. We're talking about the um, presidential um, election. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is kind of because it came up to, you know, who because you brought up the whole thing, who may run? What's, you know, if we had X, Y and Z running and you brought up uh, like I know Commerce Shawan was brought up, not necessarily in that context and AOC was brought up and um, we brought up the article about what AOC said. And I think was it Vanity? Uh, GQ. GQ. And one of the things that really upset me about that article that AOC wrote, uh, said in the interview was the defeatist attitude that she had about her chances of winning, mm. particularly when she brought up the fact that, you know, um, the this country is sexist, which I do believe this country is sexist. I'm actually kind of on your your level. I, I, I've had conversations with my friends. I, should, I tell them, like, listen, I think everyone is, bi- um, is bigoted. I think every single person in this country is bigoted. I, I, I truly believe that. And I think the difference between is you have some people who acknowledge that bigotry and choose to try to check themselves. And you have other people who, you know, ignore it. And that bigotry can be either subconscious or conscious. You know, it's different. Mm-hmm. And um, when she talks about that, she had this defeatist attitude. And the reader I bring this up is I want you to view your because uh, I believe that when you start going for elected office and you win. And you and you have a following behind. You show that you are able to produce a particular type of following with a particular type of group. I don't think you no longer have the choice. And if you take the next level, like to me, AOC running has should not have to be if she feels ready to not necessarily if she feels ready to run, but the fact mm. that there's people out there who support her. And who believes she can win. So when she says that to me, she's demeaning that because I think, and this is my, I don't think leaders are not necessarily, you're not born a leader. Leaders are created and you don't get to choose per se who people pick to lead them. And I think the same way with uh, Shawama in Seattle. I don't think, I think people want to see her do more and probably go up to maybe a different greater office. And I think she has, in my opinion, because she chose to run, I think she has an obligation to do that. Just like I think AOC would have an obligation to perhaps run for Senate or run for presidency because she put herself in a position and there are people who will put their faith in them. And now you have, there's an obligation. Do you, do you feel that same thing? Do you think? <clears throat> that's, that's really interesting. I mean, look, I could be wrong. I I do feel like it is completely possible for AOC at age 28 or whatever to have engaged in a long shot campaign to join Congress, to have won unexpectedly against one of the most powerful Democrats in the House, and to then have found herself in a reality that wasn't exactly what she anticipated when she signed up. And that's not to say maybe she should have realized and et cetera, et cetera. But there are many things I think we've all had the experience of pursuing something and then getting it and then realizing that, you know, you thought you knew the downsides, but the downsides are actually worse than you anticipated. (laughs) You know, maybe Mm -hmm. you, maybe you thought you knew what you were getting into when you had a kid, or maybe you thought you knew what you were getting into when you went into a grad program and took a certain kind of job and you, you said, oh, I know there's going to be downsides. I know kids are a lot of work, but it's going to be worth it. And then and you're in it. You're like, oh, 
<laughs> I didn't realize it was going to be quite this crazy. Um, and it kind of feels like I, maybe I'm being too, um, too generous here. And I completely am open to that criticism. But I think that AOC, when I listen to her talk, I'm looking at this GQ interview that you referenced, and she sounds overwhelmed. And it is disappointing having invested in her that she is not necessarily choosing to rise to the occasion. But on a human level, I completely understand her looking around and saying, oops, I made a mistake. Let me get out of this. Now, I'm actually personally much more disappointed or much more frustrated on that ground by someone like Bernie who's been in this for so much longer and who I think it was a lot more reasonable for folks to invest their hopes and dreams in than someone like AOC, who through no fault of her own, she's just like too new on the scene for me to ever invest that much emotionally in her. But look, this is, this is a part of the article you were referencing. She says, sometimes little girls will say, oh, I want you to be president or things like that. She told me when I asked about whether she believed that she or someone like her could ever leave our, lead our country. It's very difficult for me to talk about because it provokes a lot of inner conflict that I never want to tell a little girl what she can't do. And I don't want to tell young people what is not possible. I've never been in the business of doing that. So to me, that speaks to a little bit of self-awareness. Like, I mean, I don't want to be honest about my internal turmoil for, for tor turmoil for exactly why the reasons you've brought up, Eric, that you don't want to be pessimistic. But then she goes on at the same time, dot, dot, dot. Then the narrator, over the course of our conversations, the congresswoman typically answered in a confident, fast-paced patter, each sentence closely chasing the tail of the last. But now her speech slowed to a crawl, and for the first time in the hours we had spent speaking, she broke eye contact, burying her gaze in the arm of her chair. Tears pooled in the corner of her eyes. Quote, I hold two, uh, sorry, I hold two contradictory things in mind at the same time. One is just the relentless belief that anything is possible, she said. But at the same time, my experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women. And they hate women of color. People ask me questions about the future. And realistically, I can't even tell you if I'm going to be alive in September. And that weighs very heavily on me. And it's not just the right wing. Misogyny transcends political ideolo ideology, left, right, center. This grip of patriarchy affects all of us, not just women, men, as I mentioned before, but also ideologically, there's an extraordinary lack of self-awareness in so many places. And so those are two very conflicting things. I admit to sometimes believing I live in a country that would never let that happen. Mm -hmm. I, I think that she's just tired of getting death threats and doesn't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and that's real, you know, like yeah. that's real. It's, it's frustrating and you want people to rise to the occasion, but I'll tell you this. I've said this on the show before. <clears throat> My mom has said to me when I first got into this work, like I look at all the people that I admire so much and I look at how miserable their lives were. And I don't know that how I can ethically want that for you as a parent. So on a human emotional level, I completely understand. But the question about what that means for a certain level of movement activity, it's a very serious one. Mm -hmm. And you know what? And that could simply be her way of saying, I'm not the one. Yeah. That and then we and then whoever, you know, the AOC people who are for AOC behind her are gonna have to take, you know what, AOC's not the one. We thought she was, but she's not the one and she's throwing her hat out. You know, she's waving mm -hmm. the white flag. Don't look at me. And mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine, I definitely think. As long as you make that clear that, you know, this is it. This is you gonna get me as a congresswoman. I'm not yeah. going any further than that. So I definitely understand. And I just saw a quick comment when the thing that said, 
uh, someone's talking about when I made my whole, like, I think everyone's bigoted. Like, when I make that comment, it's not that everyone's out there saying, I hate Mexicans, I hate Black people. Mm -hmm. It's that Mm -hmm. we live in a country, and we live in a world that I would say, that preys on our natural human instinct to put people in categories. Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes, because I'm pretty sure everyone here has laughed at a very, you know, not so you know, PC joke. Or I mean, the 90s were wild. Exactly. <laughs> everyone here, you know, you, you can't sit there and tell me you haven't, you know, laughed along, you know, Asians can't drive, women can't drive. I'm like, so there's these things. So it doesn't mean you hate or you're completely on, you know, the whole spectrum. Like everything's a spectrum. Like I have, you know, bigoted thoughts sometimes, or I sometimes fall into these things about, oh, women can be so sensitive sometimes. And I just have to, you know, I check myself. I'm just having mm-hmm. enough awareness to check myself when those thoughts come on and be like, wait a minute, why am I thinking that? Is there mm-hmm. any validity what I'm saying? What's What am I listening to or reading that's causing this? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is also for a lot of people are good people, but it's just, you know, unconscious. You know, you unconsciously pick these things up. And mm-hmm. it's about, you know, realizing that I may have some unconscious stuff in there and then training. And I just think, you know, some people, you know, aren't, able to do that or and everything like that so that 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 was yeah. what the point of that whole thing it doesn't i'm not tacking because i include myself in that yeah i'm i get you 100 percent. i say the same thing <laughs> you know i think it's very naive to think that you've somehow are magically escaping all of the culture signifiers of bias i mean like you prefer stuff that is familiar to you and similar to you. I have an instinct to defend New York and hate on people that are not from New York. Like it's just every on every like lane. I love Leos. Mm-hmm. I hate water signs. Like it's just how we're built. <laughs> the idea that you're I'm a to water that is just so silly. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. it's okay. I'm seeing a water sign. They're not all that bad. It just takes a little bit. We're not. We're we're a little bit of an oil and water situation. It's not you. It's me. Because <laughs> yeah, my my dad is a Leo. And I bet he is Amelia's especially. I bet you he yes. is a trip. He's stuck. Yes, he is. He can definitely, definitely can be. But um, oh, and this I'm gonna head out after this. I just wanted to say good job, um, on what was it Wednesday's uh, rising when you had that gentleman from Venezuela, and you had that conversation <laughs> about like he like I was like first of all like one of the things that I hate the most is that. Capitalism can you can capitalism gets such a pass with these people, mm-hmm. like like socialism. Like one country who quote unquote is socialist could have this bad decision. That means all of socialism is horrible. Just mm-hmm. All of it is, 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 is just trash. But capitalism can have X, Y, and Z. You know they can kill this many people, have this many failures, and nothing gets mm-hmm. blamed. Capitalism not get blamed for that. And it's just like, how can you be that delusional? You won't even concede. To the point that oh you know maybe there are you know he won't even he didn't even concede that you know there may be some issues with capitalism where we can probably tweak it around the edges and it was just such you know he's like so brainwashed with this system it's like you know it's not the greatest system in the world yeah it was wild because like I'm nobody's expert on Venezuela right like I wasn't you know I I did not like the format of how that segment went down but I didn't look at the call sheet the night before so I wasn't really in a position to object last minute that that's on me. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. Um, I, like, I'm not trying to argue. I would never assume to argue that there aren't problems in Venezuela, that there's not corruption in Venezuela. Of course, is it a place on earth? 
Okay, then there's problems in corruption. <laughs> my my contention is that capital uh, communism con- ugh, communism rather is being pegged or being pointed to as the cause of various ills because things happened in a communist country and not uh the same for capitalism that's that's my only point so he's like well this happened and that happened i'm like okay maybe you did but like every bad thing that has happened on planet earth happened in a capitalist country except for like yeah three countries and those countries aren't even really communist or socialist countries anyway so yeah, like germany was you know germany was a capitalist country under hitler right. Google the poorest, most war-torn place in the, in the in the world, and I promise you money. Like it's capitalist. I'm not trying to, I, and I and I don't like to call out country names when I'm on the air because I'm like I'm not trying to like Somalia's going through enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not trying to like point fingers at South Sudan right now. Like just let them let them live their lives. But like I'm thinking in my head, like every single place that Trump would sit around and call a shit whole country and backward and fucked up is capitalist. You you don't get to have it both ways. <laughs> you exactly. don't get to have it both ways so like, also, just critique what you want to critique make a specific criticism about something that you didn't like but don't be attributing it to communism Karine Jean-Pierre from Haiti which has been dragged through the mud but like is also a capitalist country <laughs> yeah and I also would I'm also like especially when you're dealing with these South American countries I find I'm not sure if this is true I would want to hear more from like people who are more have more of a indigenous heritage within those mm-hmm. countries because i believe he said that his like grandfather he's italian Spanish. he's italian so i'm like <laughs> and i hear a lot of the people talk like that from these south american countries have european roots right it's like you're in a ruling class boo-boo. Roots. <laughs> yeah and it yeah. just makes me think huh yeah because a lot of people don't like to talk about you know what Europe did in South in a lot of South American countries. And when you go right. to certain South American countries, why all the South Americans there kind of look very pale skin? A hundred percent. And I, yeah. you know, I couldn't say that on the show. You know how the audience would yeah. be. They would, they would act like I was old girl from The View calling out Nikki Haley for using a fake name. You know, I didn't want to be in that <laughs> yeah. like that position, like making claims about people's identity and how legitimate they are. And like, it's not my place. And I don't know enough about the man to really get into that, but it is a pattern. It's like being like, well, the Cubans I know in Miami, like nobody cares about the Cubans, you know, in Miami. Those are the ones that had to leave because they were the oppressor class. So like, just, just provide the, you, you can have your opinion, but just be honest. I don't like socialism because my parents were benefiting very nicely under capitalism. That's okay, honey. Like, Yes. Be honest. Just be mm. like, be just, just be honest. If the RBN people like rightly point out I'm PMC, yes, I'm PMC. Like, who am I? Gonna, I am obviously PMC. Yes. Like, <laughs> and then make your argument, and you can go along with whatever the stereotype is of the thing that you are, or against the stereotype of the thing that you are, and you can live and die on your own merits. But people, context is key. That's all I'm saying. Okay, you have a good one. You too. Now, for some reason, neoliberal tears up here in the speaker box, and I don't want to kick you out of um, the queue if you are in fact in line. So let's just hear from you, and then I'll I'll return you to the to the to the peers. Wait, where did you go, neoliberal? I was gonna let you speak. Oh, maybe it was a complete and total accident. Okay, my bad. All right, then. Um, a, what's on your mind? Oh wait, he went to the back of the line. Okay, neoliberal, I'll come for you next. But A, you're unmuted, but I can't hear you for some reason. A, A, are we having um technical issues? 
Yeah, I can see that you're muting, unmuting, but I can't hear you. What's the, what's the dealio? Oh, man. Oh, there you go. Wait a minute. I just heard you say, oh, oh man. Oh, you heard me. Yes. Hello there. Hello from India yet again. Hello. 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 Uh, How are you doing this very, very late night for you? Yes. I would almost call it morning, actually. Yeah. I'm doing very well. But Brianna, this question of the bourgeois left keeps coming up. It was many moons ago, I think, right? When you asked Richard Wolf if Hassan Piker is allowed to be a millionaire or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never solved mm-hmm. it, did we? Yeah. Thank you for reminding me about how many amazing deep cuts are in the catalog of Bad Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a two-year anniversary. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a two-year anniversary. There should be a super cut out soon. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 if I recall correctly, what ended up coming out of that... Okay, so for, for background, this was around the time that people were uh, mad at Hassan Piper, who everyone here probably is aware is a huge Twitch streamer, and um, you know, a leftist <clears throat> made a lot of money uh, because his Twitch stream is his, his channel is very popular, and he had recently disclosed that he bought uh, a house. I don't remember exactly how much it cost, but it was an expensive house, and a car. I think was also <clears throat> in the mix. That was a kind of a fancy, expensive sports car. And some people made the argument. Yeah, that, that is a little just, obnoxious, actually. <laughs> well, so we get the argument that it's not just that he has the money, but that <clears throat> he. Um, they they argued that he had been counter-revolutionary in his content and that he is someone who, <clears throat> in the RBN folks' parlance, was like a sheep herder or, or sheep herder, sheep herder people back to the Democratic Party in a way yeah. more revolutionary activity. And that's what we should be concerned about, whether or not there's a relationship between how <clears throat> um, lucrative your content is and how much you're willing to bend the knee to the Democratic Party establishment. And so we had a philosophical conversation about, in the abstract, is the money the problem? Is it that the money is evidence of you swaying from a more adversarial and revolutionary approach? Does the money cause that to happen? Or does it, do you, you know, is it just a, a, something that happens when you get rich and you have more to lose? You know, does the money at least make it fair for someone to interrogate a person's motives? You know, it, yeah. it, was, it was interesting. And I think they yeah. laid out some red flags that you should watch for, but didn't necessarily say that having money is in and of itself a problem. But also what came out in that episode, I was like, both you and me both, <clears throat> Richard Wolf, are <laughs> in positions where it behooves us to say that having some amount of money isn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we have some yeah. amount of money. Yeah. So, you know, should anybody listen to us at all? Absolutely. Oh, man, no, no, this, I mean, especially I was so taken on what CJ was saying. I mean, I suppose one can't quite account for what just sheer comfort does to one's mm-hmm. thinking. Perhaps it creates a more contemplative space where urgency is required. I don't know. I certainly got a lot of PMC guilt from this episode, but this is not what I've called for. <laughs> petite bourgeois to petite bourgeois. I have called Brianna to, uh, uh, to, uh, I'd like to talk to you about my crush on you. And see, okay, I might, I might have had a few too many uh, jazz cigarettes uh, tonight. So you'll be nice, and you'll, you'll kick me out before I make a fool of myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Shoot shot. All right. But no, I mean, I want to stick to your rules. And I remember in a recent call-in, you'd mentioned that it's always better for everyone hearing if it's a conversation. Right. And so I don't want to make it just a one-sided declaration. So I shall uh, give you options. Okay. All right. I can speak about how impressive I find you, but I suppose you're lousy with professional compliments. <laughs> or I could speak about a very, it could be a very me-centered narrative about sort of my experience of a different culture through you as the interlocutor. But I don't know if you want to listen to stuff about me. Or I could speak about you, but I barely know you. So which is it? Hey, there's like some really fundamental logistical problems here. Mm -hmm. You living on the other side of the world and whatnot. Why are you burdening this with the expectation of anything transpiring? (laughs) This is just a conversation. But hey, like you, you want to lay all of these sweet nothings on me and get me all in a tizzy. And fill mm-hmm. me with anticipation. And then, you know, leave me high and dry. Well, know? not really. You should swing by India. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not it's not the safest place. But I mean, no one's, no, no place is safe. I suppose our oases of safety are just smaller. But, you know, I could show you how, how lefties uh, do it here. And, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my, almost in my 30s. So like a tired sort of, what a tired leftist would be up to. I think, which is your bag, isn't it? I, I am, I'm losing my mind right now. <laughs> okay, dealer's choice. You say whatever you want, but you only uh-huh. have for, you know, in the interest of the audience's, um, the fact the audience is less invested in just hearing a string of complimentary facts about me. You only have until eight sixteen, two minutes to say two minutes. Show. Okay. All right. All right. I, I'll work with that. Um. No, I think I, I, I'll do a good faith one, right? I mean, that's, that's in keeping with the theme of the show. I think in good faith, really, because I barely know you, of course. And I suppose the crush is really the crush one has on a, on a public persona, right? Um, I think it's just sort of the, um, you know, the company of, of uh, you and also sort of the community one gets access to through the platform you've created and through these conversations you engender. Uh, I mean, obviously, needless to say, uh, you know, all the people in these call in, I mean, it's, it's fun to hear from other people who are struggling. I mean, also, like, yeah, there's, yeah, India's, it's quite dismal. It feels nice to know that one's not alone, one's problems in the world. Uh, so I suppose, uh, you know, you as the person who created that is, uh, is a thing I'm grateful for. See, I mean, I've gotten into this earnest space. I wish to speak about how captivating you are and stuff like that, but you don't seem to want that. So <laughs> I will, I will leave it at that. Those are my two minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you very much. I am very flattered. It's very sweet of you. Yes. And, and if you're ever in New Delhi, you, you hit me up. I will. I was in... I was in India a few years ago for a friend's wedding in the fall of 2018. I had a lovely time. I had been waiting. We went to high school together, and I was like, I'm going to wait to go to India until Nandini gets married because it's expensive and far. Um, And she did, in fact, get married, and I went and I had the most lovely time. In fact, I will be seeing her this weekend in New York for the first time in many years. And I'll I'll, I'll ask her. Nandini, are you planning on getting divorced and remarried again? Do you have a cousin's wedding or something that I should be going to? And if I am in New Delhi, A, I will hit you up. 
Absolutely. And as as an Indian leftist, I very strongly advocate divorce for anyone who's Indian and married. So uh, certainly, I, I would I would I would recommend Nandini get divorced. All right. <laughs> Keep the faith, Brianna. Have a good one. Keep the faith. I'm dying. Okay. Uh, D, you're up. <laughs> Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. <laughs> that dude was campaigning. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I actually, I actually thought I was actually thinking about the uh, bourgeois elite uh, conversation, bourgeois leftists. I actually have actually a not a purposely contrarian, but I actually, I've come around to the fact that I actually think that um, the non-electoral politics um, angle. That I think Nick takes it much more so than you because um, he like posted that Bernie Sanders was a grifter, which I you know I don't understand how you would say that. But the reason I take that that angle is just because most people like as much as the left likes to act like all these people are sitting around and they're 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 to the left of AOC and they're just angry that you know even the squad isn't good enough. Like that's not most people. Most people are not or figuring out other things in their lives and particularly in the democratic party because i know a lot of us people extend the grace to trump supporters in terms of talking about it as an economic thing mm -hmm. but a lot of people are just voting for okay this guy says health care he's going to provide health care um I, I i he's going to raise my minimum wage maybe he's not where i want to be or maybe she's not where i want to be but i'm going to vote for him and mm -hmm. i think not understanding that actually is an elitist position because because mm -hmm. i i actually had this conversation with nick and i said yeah the 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 woman i'm seeing is a pretty big uh we're in pa she's a pretty big she's trying to help fetterman get elected mm -hmm. and she's trying to get um sherry beasley in north carolina elected mm -hmm. because of the abortion thing mm -hmm. and he's like well if you if that's what you want to do then you know i guess that's how you role and i thought i'm like that's such a dismissive way to, mm. <laughs> to talk about like a woman who's trying to vote for these people knowing that republicans have said that they're going to at least lindsey graham and probably republicans are going to ban abortion if they take back the senate and so for you to be that dismissive that actually is elitist so i i just wanted to hear your thoughts on that yeah <clears throat> i think that that is I don't know that I would use the word elitist, but I do think that you're right that sometimes there is a degree of compassion and understanding shown toward conservatives that isn't shown toward libs. And I sometimes participate in that because libs make me crazy. <laughs> no, of course. Sorry. In all seriousness, it's because you feel like a liberal should have more in common with you. So it hurts more when they are oppositional to you. That That is what it is. It's like you get madder at your family than anybody else. Okay. That being said, I, I do like my experience on this show and the reason why I'm not quite as, um, and I'm not in the exact same place that Nick is, even though I personally would make the decision not to invest that much in electoralism. I'm not exactly where he is because when I talk to folks, interview folks for this podcast, talk to folks more broadly who are still committed to the idea of running for local office, doing some good in their community, maybe even running for Congress and doing some good there, being a positive vote there, using their platform for good. You know, the people that we've talked to on this podcast, even if I think that their efforts are largely futile, I hear the sincerity with which they're working. And it is very difficult for me to 
not want to honor that and support them. And maybe that is completely ass backward. And maybe that is me getting funneled back into the Democratic Party and wasting my time and resources. That might completely be true. But on like a human interpersonal level, I have a hard time looking at Re- Reverend Wendy or Amy Vieja or some or, you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, any of these people and being like, you're dumb. Screw you. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I actually, and this is, and I don't want to don't, I don't want to get controversial. Okay. But even during the pandemic, cause Nick's like, well, we'd have a general check. And I'm like, even that to me is silly because if we learned anything from this pandemic, left, right, or center, Americans are not willing to sacrifice that much. And I don't even mean the shot. I mean, people can't even, couldn't even put on a mask. That was met with resistance. So this, I, so the idea that we're going to have a strike and cause well, I was like, Oh, I was like, what happens if, if let's just say Republicans take back the Senate or whatever, and they ban, uh-huh. they, they ban, he's like, well, we would have a strike. It's like the idea that people who won't wear a mask are going to be like, we're all marching in the streets. That, that, that to me, I'm, I'm sorry, Bree. That to me is just, just fantastical. That's not where we are. I wish we were like there as a country, but we're not there as a country. We're, we're just not there. We're, we're going to have a general strike over over as a way of advancing issues over over electoral politics we're not <laughs> well I, I, I disagree i disagree there i don't know that i think that mask wearing is a a sufficient uh, metric for what the public could do under different kinds of conditions and i also don't think that nick talking about a general strike is the same thing as him having an, some unrealistic expectation that if he snaps his fingers the next day, that there will be a general strike. And I think you can guarantee that there will not be a general strike if 99.9% of Americans have never heard those two words together back to back before, don't know right. what a union is, and have never thought of unionizing their own workforce. So I think that what he's doing and talking about it and talking about how the moment of the pandemic really demands a response like that helps to wake people up to the fact that there are paths to having better outcomes and electoral outcomes, and they can start to make the moves necessary to take advantage of not, if not this moment, then the next moment like this, that emerges by the time that we've organized. So I, I, I don't disagree yeah. with you there. And I also just want to be clear that I'm not saying that Nick or anybody else at RBN is like, fuck you to NBA or anything like that. I, I think that they just believe, and I completely respect this, that your resources, especially with their limited resources are much better spent doing mutual aid or other kinds of third party projects than giving to candidates who are one very unlikely to win and two, even if they do win within the democratic party system, they'll, they'll be forced to bend the knee. Yeah. And, and just quick follow up and I, cause I know you have callers. Um, like he, like the thing that he said that to me was so like kind of disturbing was, he's like, well, people who voted for Joe Biden, you voted for a white supremacist. And it's like, that's that, but that to me is just, again, that, that to me is an, uh, again, you see where I mean, where like the, the elitism where, and, and Glenn does this a lot. Well, you guys su- still support AOC. It's like, yeah, <laughs> most people are not going to support third parties, be, especially when third parties have had years and years and years and they haven't really produced a whole lot in terms of even just putting people on the ballot. Uh, so again, most, I most even... people are going to support the, either the Democratic party or the Republican party. Most people are not like, Oh, well, what's this other party that I'm going to look at? Well, I, I think, again, that it's unfair and self-defeating to say a new party hasn't ever, you know, won the White House and therefore no or a large number of congressional seats. Therefore, I 
don't think it will ever. I mean, that's obviously no. What I'm saying though, Brittany, logic. I'm I'm saying that you. I'm but, saying but, you wait. can't shame. You can't. I'm. Right. I'm not but saying let me, that. Let me let me get to that. Let me get to that. I was addressing your whole question. Oh, okay. So, but I what I was gonna say is that I do agree with the fact that you have to meet people where they are, and most people have been indoctrinated with the message that third parties are futile, and also that these pro elected progressives are really great. They've had pretty glowing, not all of them, but AOC at least has had pretty positive mainstream media coverage. She's beautiful and poised in a way that makes her very easy for a lot of folks yeah. to admire and identify with. She's, I don't mean to just say that superficially, she's, you know, articulate and has been um, bringing issues to the main stage that haven't come in a young female POC package. Right. And a lot of folks who couldn't hear from Bernie are, were able to hear from her. And that was meaningful to a lot of people. And so for now, if the, for the left to do to suddenly say AOC is terrible feels like a bait and switch that most normies cannot keep up with, understandably so, and also makes the interlocutor look like they're in bad faith. And so that's part of why I and, – and again, I think that there's different roles for different people that are important. A lot of people are very pissed off at the squad and Bernie – and they should be able to watch shows and hear from people who channel that anger. But I think there's other people who are like, well, hell, you just told me to like the AOC. You just finally convinced me that socialism was a terrible thing because of her. And now you're telling me that she's the worst. So that's part of why I personally moderate my own language. I want to make sure that any criti criticism that I make of AOC is a clean hit and is fair. And I, I, and I think that I, I want to give her, I want to credit for credits too. Like, I, do I want her to be completely fearless and indifferent to her own personal safety? Yeah, that's good for me. But as a human being, yeah, I understand that that is a lot to ask of a person. And on an interpersonal level, completely understand if she would make a different choice. You know, I, I, I want to be as fair as possible because I think that your concern there is right. But I don't also want to fall into the trap of making the concern to people who very clearly identify the inside game as ineffective, at least as the way it's being but, played now. But do some of them have, I, I guess the last thing I want to say, do some of like, cause where I am is, do, do are a lot of these people sincerely critiquing or is it just a branding exercise? Because, and, and I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even saying you because like you give, you, you have stake to lose. If we're going to talk just pure, like, race racial politics you have stake to lose as a black woman but like i just i don't know when i see some of these particularly white leftists when they're like and it, they're like doing all these solutions and i don't know something just sits wrong with me especially when they erase when we even when we talk about liberals they erase the fact that liberals are not new york times and don lemon and cnn liberals are older black voters who voted for biden in the primary and said man i he's the one who can beat trump those are liberals too they're not just like wine sipping like latte drinkers who hate progressives and and that's another that's another to me form of elitism where it's like we're going to just pretend that every liberal is affluent and make makes five hundred thousand dollars and listens to chris hayes all the time well look, this is part this is so part of this was what i was trying to get at when they were saying everything comes down to class and i was like well but I mean, sure, I'm not I'm not trying to dismiss class being a part of the analysis, but a bunch of people who force the who support a force of vote are affluent. So how do you contend with that? If if your message is everyone who's rich can't be trusted, I mean that's fair. I'm not like I you know, I don't really have, I'm not in a really position to argue with you, but you have to acknowledge that Crystal Ball and Cornell West and 
Kyle Kalinske and Chris Hedges and myself were all for force the vote. And, you know, we're, we're PMC. And everybody, and by the way, this is a stat. I hope that like the next time someone says this on rising, the average Biden voter is much less wealthy than the average Trump voter. The average yeah, Biden yeah. voter is much less but, wealthy than the average yeah. Trump voter. It's not even close. But I, but I also want to point out that I don't think that, that Nick is ignorant of that fact. Nick worked for the Bernie campaign in South Carolina. And he talks about how radicalizing that experience was for him. And when he says something like Bernie is a um, grifter, there is, there's a rhetorical, like he's intentionally being provocative for rhetorical reasons. But I think that the, the, the point is sound, even if, again, I wouldn't use that language. And it, what he's saying is that Bernie Sanders accepted $100 million or whatever it was in donations from people who were disproportionately poor and working class who didn't have a lot to spare and used revolutionary language to perhaps create expectations, false expectations about what that money could do. And then at the point at which through no fault of his own or you know, through partial fault of his own, but mostly because of the machinations of the Democratic Party, his effort failed. He didn't then go and use that money and that energy to fight selflessly for the people who gave him that money. He basically bent the knee to Biden, however you, however you want to characterize it, graciously conceded to Biden very quickly and didn't hold out for the interests of working people and didn't break into a third party, didn't do anything with, with that platform. It, it, you know, didn't do as much, I should say. I don't want to be unfair. Didn't do as much with that platform as many of us think that he could have. Yeah, that's fair. So that's thank that's you for taking my call. Yeah, of course, of course. Thank you for for calling in. Um, let's see. I I sent some people to the back that I said I was gonna. Oh, a neoliberal. How did you end up here in speakers again? I, this is so weird. I, I don't know, but I think it, it was kind of funny, so I just kind of kept it. I'm just. <laughs> um, I'll hang up now. Um, no, no, don't but, hang up. Go ahead and ask your question. Ah, uh, well. Um, let me see if I can connect this to the view somehow, which is my ultimate goal in life. Um, you know, there was, um, you know, Jonathan and I, we have a, we have a call-in show where we try to work through some of these uh, hard, hard issues. Um, oh, which and, Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan? Oh, Jonathan Chapman. Uh, my bestie. Jonathan, Jonathan from the queue or Jonathan with the, the black emoji with all of the pink lines on it? Jonathan, our Jonathan with the glasses uh, from oh, okay. Texas, EMT. Yes. That's right. Okay. All right. Cool. Love um, that. So we talked about AOC 2024 and, you know, what we think and um, try to sort of work out what the, what, what our issues really drill down to, um, you, you know, and come at it from a substantive perspective. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when she went on The View, for example, I, I kind of think she already we already saw what a potential AOC twenty twenty four AOC presidential run would be, and we're we're seeing the results, which is um, what you mentioned um, on Rising today um, was Savvy's segment about how the squad could barely get a hundred people in a room, all five mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the enthusiasm wouldn't be there. But how I was going to relate it to the view is, you know, she um, when she went. I don't know if you have you been following the drama lately um, between Sunny and Joy because when they talked about AOC um, 2024, Sunny sort of Whoopi sort of did her her regular thing, which is um, AOC doesn't respect her elders. Remember that? Um, yes, yeah, so is she still on that tip? 
a hundred percent. And and then Sunny actually, so this time, here's what happened. She pushed back and said, well, Whoopi, I've actually talked to AOC. And what she said to me is that she's always respected people before her. Like Sunny was saying, she was basically admitting, like, this is from my perspective as a leftist, so fascinating. But like she was saying, no, 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 she's reached out to me. And then Whoopi interrupted Sunny and said, oh, she's reached out to me too. Um, so it's sort of, so, so Jonathan and I was sort of thinking to ourselves, okay, so AOC is talking to, it's not like she's not talking to people. She's talking to Whoopi Goldberg. She's talking to Sunny. She's actively recruiting those people and organizing them. And like, it's just independent media that she's ignoring, um, or choosing to not use her time on. Mm. Um, and it's interesting. So would I want that kind of a presidential candidate? Absolutely not. But like, mm -hmm. but I, I just think it was revealing in terms of like, AOC is the view candidate, basically. And How um, did you find this clip? Oh, and um, then we went back on our show is what called What Fresh Hell, if anyone has a, you know, is bored and wants to listen to it. But we also played AOC's um, original view appearance when uh -huh. she sort of confronted Whoopi about it directly. And she, like, Whoopi asked her the same question. And AOC came prepared. Like, you know, like you mentioned, she talked about Mama Bear. She was so, she couldn't have played it better. Like, she deserved an Oscar. And, and she still, Whoopi could not forgive her for that. So mm. what I'm trying to say is there's no pleasing Whoopi. Um, yeah, that, that, that's it. right. It became very clear to me at, after Bernie's appearance on The View during the campaign that he should never be sent there again. There, there's no, there was no amount of prep because I remember when AOC went on the first time and she handled Whoopi very well. Say what you want about AOC, she understands how to handle herself in that kind of situation, and she's a good talker. And but, so go ahead. But, look at it now. Look at Whoopi. I mean, she was in a way she won the like she won the Greek choir. She won the audience, right? Like you yeah. know she she. But she she basically conceded to Whoopi. Like she threw herself on the floor and said, like, you know, mama bear, yeah. mama bear. Like yeah, forget yeah. inside track. Yeah. No, but no, like no. Yeah. But it didn't work. I know. I'm I'm getting I'm getting that. So but I, I just I want to stay in that moment for a second. AOC is very good at that. And Bernie was never gonna be anywhere near as good at AOC in terms of navigating a moment like that. So it just wasn't worth sitting him back in. AOC had the ability to win over the audience. Bernie was never gonna do that. So I, I take your point about, so, so I want to say this. I don't mind that AOC was reaching out to the people of The View. I think that's smart. I think that you, if it's, it's like literally the highest, the most viewed daytime TV show. Like many more people watch The View than watch like Rachel Maddow. Like you want the people on The View to be singing your praises no matter what your political project is. And one of my frustrations with the Bernie campaign was that it didn't seem to understand that a lot of people speak out of ignorance. And you, you've got to put in the work and let them know what you're about and make them inclined to say nice things about you when it happens. They have a huge audience and that sort of thing matters. But I, t I, I do agree with your the other side of your point, which is if she understands the value of that and sees it as important to reach out to the view – it is an indictment of her unwillingness to reach out to the left and respond to their criticisms of her. Uh, and it, and it seems to speak to the fact that she, the idea that she doesn't think the space is influential. It doesn't matter. The voices here don't matter. And that is what's so disappointing because in my view, these are the kinds of folks that got her elected in the first place. And that would stand up and protect her if she ever did try to advance her own political career and came, uh, 
under scrutiny or became a target in the way that Bernie has been a target. Hey, where'd you go? Where'd you go, neoliberal? You're 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 stressing me out. You're stressing me out, Neo, with all that's hopping around. Um, but thank you for calling in. Everyone should go listen to What Fresh Hell with Jonathan and Neoliberal Tears. It sounds great. And somebody like DM me that clip. I couldn't find. I'm sure I can find it actually. A, 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 the the segment where the View more recently is talking about the prospect of an AOC 2024 run. That sounded really good. Okay, Anthony, you're up. What's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Anthony? There. Anthony. Hey there, hey there. How All are right. You? Good to talk with you. Same here. What are you thinking about tonight? Well, that's funny. I um, actually turned in my absentee ballot for uh, November today in the mail. And that's, and I was talking with my buddy. I told him, I, uh, I wrote in uh, Vladimir Putin 17 times, mostly for judge, because there's like so many judge elections and uh, Kim Jong-un five times and uh, voted for. Well, yeah, if there was a Green Party, I wrote, voted for them, even though, you know, I've kind of diverged from them since the Howie Hawkins and everything else. And uh, this other party working fam uh, not working families working class party and i don't know it sounds like some bs neoliberal stuff or just shit lib stuff but whatever i'd give them a vote they're third party whatever but yeah i um my i was talking with my buddy i'm like i'll probably just whatever he's like i'm not even gonna vote i said i, I should throw in the trash it, yeah that's what it is and i'm gonna get what i want out of it I know exactly how, you know, the process works. I went down to my absentee counting board in the August primary because I was curious. I looked online why in my precinct it showed zero write-ins for a certain race because I said, I know I wrote in, so why would my precinct have zero write-ins? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went down to the board to get the answer myself I said because I didn't write in a natural person. I wrote in you know a phrase it, it was not an explicit phrase it was totally proper but so i i'm i'm learning the specifics and i'm gonna get what i want out of it the ballot adjudicator is gonna look and see vladimir putin 17 times and i think they'll get the message and um third parties of course so no i mean it was funny when you said uh is marianne like is she really an imperialist and you needed examples? I was like, there's too many examples. I can't think of one, just a name. It's well, kind of one. embarrassing. Give me one right now. The Afghan women and children. We know that. She wanted to but stay in does, Afghanistan. I, here, here, here's what my issue is. She wanted I, to stay, I, I, though. But, but wait a minute. My recollection, and if you can find a tweet, we can pull it right up right now, and I'm willing to completely concede that I'm wrong. She probably deleted them. I think them. That it was completely fair to... to criticize Marianne Williamson for using language in that moment that people who want to extend an imperialist war in a foreign country use to justify doing so. However, saying that Marianne used bad language that is the same language that imperialists use is not the same thing as evident, having evidence of her actually wanting to stay in Afghanistan and being an imperialist. And she has talked about that both privately and publicly, and said that she was wrong, done a tweet thread, like, explained that she was she didn't mean that we should stay in Afghanistan, just that people 
actual people on the ground who, because she is who she is, knew her and were messaging her to try to get resources and supplies, were telling her about things that were happening because of the suddenness of the withdrawal. And she was, in her telling, she was calling for specific aid to those people. Now, you can still have all the criticism in the world of Marianne. If you have evidence that she's an imperialist and stuff, I'm happy to hear it. Like, I have no dog in this fight. But okay, I that's that's number one. Issue. All right, let me get let me let me yeah. give more examples yeah. then. That's number one. Nick perfectly dissected her issues with Israel and Palestine on your episode, so that let that be number two. What 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 she's effectively saying, which is, um, you know, you basically have to take it, bend over, and take apartheid and you know, being slaughtered and genocide and all that stuff. Well, so that's but, effectively what she's saying. Whether that's she... not effectively. You guys, you, you cannot do this. You don't seem credible. Like, it, it, look, if Marianne were you to don't, run... You don't seem credible uh, if you don't, like, keep these issues top of mind. Like, that's this, these are my deal breakers. That's all it is. You, it's that no, simple. You need to be able... If you're going to say something about someone... Like they're an imperialist or they're a Zionist, you have to be able to say specifically why. And and here's why it's a problem. I I have personally had arguments much more because she believes in Israel's. Oh, I I said Nick everything Nick said verbatim. She says but, but Israel Nick, and I, I. Nick was wrong. No disrespect. Nick was wrong about saying that Marianne said that Israel has a right to exist. That is an untrue statement. So that's a credibility issue. So I, I think I, I've definitely I, seen her say no, that before. Go, like I, I reached out. I did three things. I Googled it first. I tried to find that language anywhere on the internet. Any article she's given, any interview she's given, I couldn't find anything. I did it. She Twitter deletes search. a lot of tweets. So okay, <laughs> she, I, deletes... she can't delete. She, sir, she can't delete the internet. I did a Twitter search for the phrase, and then I reached out to her for comment. I said, Marianne, this, this is a statement that has been made about you on the podcast. Do you have any response? She says, I've never said that phrase. And I, I looked and I couldn't find her saying the phrase. So maybe she said it. It's true. But she says she didn't say it. And I didn't find it. But what I did find when I Googled that phrase in her Twitter was her criticizing people who use that phrase. So, what, like, I, 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 I personally believe that there is a lot of space between me and Marianne on Israel. I have heard her say things that I disagree with. And I personally understand why people have some suspicion about her position on Israel. I completely get that. But we got to be specific. Well, that's number two. Number a lot three. Of this stuff just this isn't true. And I, I can't number, be in okay. a position where I validate well, a bunch of stuff that's like unverifiable. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, then I would, I would one question what it is you heard that you disagree with her on Israel because maybe I'm, you're, I'm filling in some more gaps than there are. But number three would be her Ukraine war, and uh, with that we've crossed the Rubicon. That's why Bernie, hell no, obviously he's. Uh, I don't like what he did with the last two campaigns, but um, no, we've crossed the Rubicon with Ukraine. She's down with that as far as I'm aware, and so is Bernie, obviously. So no way. You mean that all of the progressives have basically voted for all of the Ukraine funding and haven't, like, spoken out against any aspect of this? No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. Like, I think it's completely fair. Now, yeah, again, well, that, that's I just voting. I don't, voting's done, not serious. You know, she's not voting. I mean, she's obviously not in Congress or anything. And I, I just sincerely haven't followed. I, like, I don't know what she said about Ukraine, but I certainly haven't seen her speak out against it. So I think that's completely fair. I think that's fair. But like it, it cannot be the case. We can't we cannot I don't know, like it just it's a real credibility issue. And I like from a journalistic perspective, I cannot 
it does. I don't think it helps anyone to make the kind of state, like if you want to say, for example, let's take a different person like Nina Turner or Bernie Sanders or anybody who we've all criticized, uh, David Sirota. Literally, there's not a person on this earth who has confronted David Sirota more on camera than me. There isn't. And now there are people who don't have access to Sirota. So like, I understand that that's part of what's happening here. But every time he comes on the show and he says something about how we just had to go vote for Dems, it happened literally a month ago or whenever he was on here the last. I said, come on, Sirota. You can't possibly believe that's going to make a difference. Now, it is frustrating. Like, I, I would love to have that conversation. I have no issue with saying that I, like, I'm frustrated that he keeps bringing that up and sees that as a solution when it quite obviously isn't a solution. But I, what I, the line that I have for myself personally is things like David Sirota is weak. Okay, like, I know that you might mean weak politically, doesn't have integrity, stand up as a Democratic Party, that's all fair, but, like, we're getting into a zone where it feels like kind of an ad hominem, and I completely respect there's legitimate anger and frustration. I'm not talking about David and, Sirota in my life, because I don't give a rip about him. I think he's whatever. If he if he's, like, I... Okay, I'm just using this as an he, analogy. That's that, yeah, that, no where doubt. my personal line is. So, like, I completely respect other people saying that, like, in their space, but I, that is not that is not my vibe. And so I'm going to push back against something like that, but because I don't think it's substantive. The substantive criticism, I'm happy to have said, because it's defensible. But I can't be in a world where people say things that aren't substantiated or substantiated, substantiatable. I think it's substantiated that Marianne Williamson is a Zionist and an imperialist. Imperialist based off the Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Zionist based off of your whatever our vague notions are that she's vaguely positive towards Israel and that took a lot of, you know, prodding. I would think we should, could admit over the last year or so on Twitter and whatnot. So for her to, Let so me I mean, is, is Bernie a Zionist? I have no idea. I'm, I haven't looked at his record, but he's garbage he on support, foreign policy in general. He, yeah, does he, he doesn't support BDS either. Well, BDS, whatever. I'm not that deep into it. I do support BDS. I don't really, whatever. I'm not looking at every each particular statement. I mean. This is what I'm trying to get at, though. Like, I think it's completely fair. If you want to say that Bernie, all the squad members, every maybe not Rashida Tlaib, but basically everybody's a Zionist. No, I'll, ta- I'll talk about Rashida Tlaib. Oh, yeah. but wait a minute. Let me finish. She's this, my congresswoman here in Detroit. I want to I want to finish this sentence. If you want to say that everybody is bad, I think that's completely like kudos. Like that's a consistent standard. But if we're going to say we liked Bernie, we'd support Bernie. If Bernie ran again, my ears would perk up. But he's also said and done a lot of these same things. I do think it's worth interrogating why it is. And maybe there's good reasons for why you would t- accept those things from Bernie, not from Marianne. But I, I want us to be honest about th- those reasons and open about those reasons and not I'm not accepting them from Bernie. I think he's full of baloney. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's fair. But a lot of people, like this just came up. Where was I talking? What, whose show was I on? Um, I the know. prospect of Bernie running. Oh, maybe it was on the Hill. The prospect of Bernie running in 2024 came up. I was met on it on the Hill, but I saw maybe someone doing commentary on the clip and they were much more positive about the prospect of, of Bernie running again. And kind of all of these criticisms went to the way and the wayside because they were basically like, there's nobody better. So we have to like, we, this is just what it is. So if, if it's consistent, I have no problem with it, but I'm observing, I'm just telling you, I'm not saying it's you, but I'm observing certain inconsistencies here. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'll be very consistent because we just talked about voting and I turned to my ballot today, like I said, but also I'm very active in other ways. And um, 
I've held the door open for my congresswoman as a, you know, doorman at a hotel and carried their senator's bags as a bellhop uh, many times. So I've been in, you know, very interesting positions and I obviously call them a lot and write them letters. But yeah, I got kicked out of a squad rally. I told you two months ago, I said, fuck you and fuck your new Ukraine NATO shit. And then uh, Joe Biden came to town a couple of weeks ago and he was distracted by the cars, as you recall. And he said COVID was over. While I was outside there uh, calling the Secret Service bitches, I said, you're protecting a pedophile war criminal. Like, how pathetic are you? This I do real labor at my job, and you stand around like a jackass protecting a war criminal. And, I, you know, I had my sign. So I, I'm, I do activism, too. And obviously uh, I've had an enjoyment supporting Rome and uh, the different things he's done with RBN and his actions. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, I take the voting. You know, I know what's going to happen. The adjudicator is going to look at it, and that's where I'm going to send my message. You know, it's it's a realism thing. No, I understand, and you know, I, I I understand. Most people don't vote at all, and so you expressing yourself how you want. Like I completely appreciate. It. I'm not in the business of telling people how to vote. I mean, I do think that judge elections have more. I mean, it's very difficult to, like, find out the truth about who's good on what because the little summaries that you find on the Internet are not very good. And there's a whole hell of a lot of them, and it takes a lot of work. And I'm not saying that I'm especially prepared, but the public defenders in my life have hipped me to the importance of those elections. So this is, like, to myself as much as to anybody else. It it might be worthwhile to weigh in on those. Um, but, you know, I get it. Look. The whole, how many people was it in Michigan that voted all down ballot for Democrats but left the top blank in protest of Hillary Clinton? And that sent a very powerful message about whose fault it was that Hillary Clinton didn't win. Like it wasn't about lazy people sitting home or not being invested in democracy. It was about them having particular complaints about Hillary Clinton that the Democratic Party refused to recognize. So, Are you still here? Oh, okay. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Jonathan, you're up next. Hey, what's up? How you doing? What's on your mind tonight? What's on my mind is how this show reminded me of the environmentalism one. Where I think I talked about my dad and how he worked at the water division his whole life. And that's why I knew even back when you and I had to sit through things like D.A.R.E. and people telling us, oh, to conserve water. You need to take five minute showers and turn it off when you're brushing your teeth because the environmental issues were something that Carl Sagan was aware of back in the 80s when we were little kids. But the displacement of responsibility onto the individual is always a it's a it's a trick. It's a conservative trick to say, ignore systems, ignore institutions, ignore the state capture of the state and the control, the scope of its control over every aspect of your life. Look at. The people that fall through the cracks, oh, they're always going to be there. And it's the job of the church. It's the job of charities to take care of them. And so you just need to write a $10 a check to Greenpeace every year and sleep at night. And the only reason bad things still exist is because other people aren't as good as you are. Right? So this is identical to the logic of don't engage with electoralism. Don't look at systems. Just engage in collective, in your... Uh, in your local action, you go bring coffee to a union strike. And I'm not trying to disparage people who do that. I, you should definitely do that. As the church that my dad goes to, when you know, they all went down to Katrina and rebuilt houses. And those are, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But to 
suggests that you should ignore systems is kind of an ideological propaganda tactic to make you believe that it's either impossible or useless or unneeded, really, to fight the system because there's, it's hopeless. But the hopelessness of it is a self-fulfilling prophecy in the same way that the unviability of a third party is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's only true yeah. because you believe it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's just, I, I don't want to talk people out of mutual aid, but I don't want mutual aid to be at the expense of anything, not one ounce of energy. You know what I mean? It's always about what's close to you you can do and take care of. I hold people, I hold the door open for people if they're close enough and coming in after me and they have a handful of groceries. It doesn't cost me anything. Doing mutual aid doesn't cost me electoralism at all. Electoralism is really just a bunch of uh, people talking like this. And then one day of a, every couple of years, you go check a box. It's the rest of it is just musing and deciding and navel gazing and talking and blah, blah, blah. And stuff you were going to do anyway, as if any conversation long enough doesn't, find its way back to the politics and some people find that annoying and that's fine but i don't see that as a dichotomy this is a false dichotomy between electoralism and mutual aid like i don't accept the premise oh yeah and, but yeah I, first of all I, I totally agree i also think the people who are anti-electoralism aren't anti-third party electoralism they're just anti-entryism they're anti the idea that you can succeed meaningfully within the democratic party so i do think we should tease those things out Okay. Um, but I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I suspect that the RBN folks, I mean, they're not, they, you, you don't just suspect, you hear them. I mean, they're, they're, they're very supportive of third party candidates. And I think, I can't remember exactly what their answer was when I asked them. Well, I think I asked them what, how they would feel if any one of these progressives, however they feel about them, were to run with a dirty break strategy, as Marianne has said that she might, and or would be open to rather, when we were talked in like, I don't know what was last winter. And um, I think Sabi answered and said that she wouldn't trust that it was authentic. And I said, well, okay. I mean, that puts people in a little bit of a bind because you're telling, you're basically telling folks who want them to run a third party, but you won't believe they have them to believe. They will. It's like, okay. Like I, I understand that some people are more trustworthy than others, I guess, based on their last, their past behavior. But if right off the bat, you, you kind of say that you're not going to trust someone who even hints and nods at a dirty break, or even says it explicitly, then it does feel like a little bit of a catch-22. Yeah, that's a really bad litmus test for being able to do something that has any kind of appeal that's worth doing as a third party. There's like a lot of, there's too many deal breakers going on. To... It does, look, I, look I, I don't like to say, I don't like to accuse people of having litmus tests because that's a, that's a, that's an accusation that's gotten, you know, put on the left a lot when I think that the left is basically asking for the bare minimum in a lot of respects, but I am a little concerned. Like I, I want to hear a little more yes, Anning and a little bit, a little bit less of a focus on being so critical of everyone. Like I, I, I both had like, again, I have, I spent my entire birthday last year. The, the day I met Marianne in person, we were scheduled to have a brunch. She didn't know it was my birthday, but it was both my birthday and the day at the Afghanistan withdrawal. And we happened to be meeting that day just to, to have a meal together for the first time. And we ended up spending the whole day together arguing, the, you know, 
enthusiastically about her tweets about the Afghan withdrawal. So it, it like galls me a little bit, the idea that somehow like I didn't care about it. I was the one that was there trying to translate all the anger from the internet to her in a way that she would understand. And it was, you know, a robust, I will say it was a heated and robust debate. Okay. Um, and I, that is, you know, I, I, we are not on the same page on those things. And I'm happy to, like, I do criticize her about those things all the time. But I also, if she were to run and it was like her and Buddha judge, I also think it's obviously true that I would vote for her in a primary. And I also think it's obviously true that I would rather try to push her out of the things that I disagree with her on than to say she's, you know, um, like just bad on the whole. And I think it's fine to say that she's a Zionist. I think that that's a fair critique. That's why I didn't, I didn't contest it in the, in the interview, um, in the podcast rather. Um, and I, you know, I think that's completely, that's completely fair. To me, the word um, Zionist implies a lot of zealotry that I don't really get from her. I may have called yeah. her a spoopy crystal mom in the past, but she's really very a diet sort of Coke person in my view. And that's the opposite of a well, Zionist who to well, me is very hard, fervent. What's hard about it is that when you say someone's a Zionist, there's like the, the subtext or the text text is that there's like a, like a real indifference to the interests of Palestinians, that you don't want Palestinians. Right? Like a lot of that stuff, which I don't think is true, but I think that there are implications to her policy positions that – are bad for Palestinians. And so I'm like on the fence about what language is appropriate, what feels like I'm like letting her off the hook versus what feels like an overreach. Um, you know, I do, I do think that she is, and I, I don't want to misrepresent her. We'll just get her on the podcast and ask her, but I do think that she is committed to the idea of an explicitly Jewish state, like a, the, you know, a state religion, a two tiered system that would put non Jewish people in the country at, in a second class status, all of that kind of thing, which I think is legitimately characterized as Zionism, even if that's not really what springs to the mind's eye is something a lot more visceral, you know, to your point, Jonathan, than that. Yeah. And for my problem with people like Marianne isn't any specific belief that I'm like, oh, this one line item is a deal breaker. It's more like her lack of a macro. I remember the, the Vanguard interview, Zach used the word archipelago. And I really liked that. He was describing how you all felt after Bernie sort of evaporated and you were all disjointed. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what a left with no macro looks like. If the loss of one person, like I took your point about leaders and how they have a place, but what makes a group too reliant on a leader is less about the leader and more about the group. Like if the loss of one person causes a widespread identity crisis where you're all like, what does it even mean to be a leftist? It means you never thought about it. It means you're left with no theory. And Marianne has no theory. If she's going to be run into this cognitive dissonance where you're like, you just created an apartheid state. What do you think of that? It's like, cause she didn't think it all the way through, mm. you know, you're mm. coming at a thing, you're coming at things from, uh, you hear an issue and you check your gut and you're like, oh, how does that make me feel? And then you decide that people who disagree with you are not your friends. Mm. Like, and I see that everywhere. I don't want to piss off anyone in the chat by naming any names, but everywhere I see that. And that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, I think that's, I think there's something to that for sure. I think there's something to that for sure. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting for me because I don't have any theory. <laughs> like, I don't. I still feel very new to a lot of this part of why like Israel, Palestine is like not my issue because you know, it's both very thorny. Oh, speaking of, I should say, uh, Katie is doing a live stream at nine 
where she's breaking some pretty important news. And I don't want to cannibalize my own audience, obviously, but like, I won't be mad if you go and listen to that or simul stream it and make a choice once you hear what she's going to announce because it is um, some heavy stuff, some wild shit that has gone down. Um, so public service announcement, Katie Halper Kate, on the Katie Halper show will be getting into some stuff tonight on a stream that starts at night. Um, that's well, I remember really you expensive. once, I remember you once saying something about, oh, I don't like intellectual bullying. If you've read all these books, just tell me what I need to know, you mm-hmm. know? Well, my, th- my theory, I'll just try to be as brief. I can't do everything right now, but it's just that every problem is a money problem. And they got you all governing to the exception and not the rule. Like abortion is the easiest one to make the point because they literally use the word exception for X, Y, and Z. But the exception is when it's like not a tra- I mean, you could say all abortions are a tragedy in a sense, but it's the least tragic because you got a good reason to do it. But the rule is like when it is the most tragic is when you have a young, healthy person who wants a child, but, but for what? But for money. Like they're broke. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're not doing it. And do you remember determinate negation, rats in cages, and how addiction is a, a void? Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Av- yeah, it's escapism from what? From all that nothing in your life. The void, you can't do anything. Because why? Because you're broke all the time. Homelessness, same thing. There will always be a non-zero number of endemic exceptions. But the, to the degree to which any and all of these problems are systemic, they are money problems. And so that's what, what do I say when I mean theory? I mean that, exactly that. Because, you know, in six to 10 weeks, you're going to be talking about homelessness again. 10 to 15 weeks, you're going to be talking about addiction and the police state and the drug war again. And then 20, 25 weeks after that, you will be talking right here about abortion again. Nowhere I fear in the interim where we had a conversation that advances your collective knowledge about money and where it comes from and where it goes any further than it is right now. That's the theory is the, uh, the sandbar that connects your disparate islands on your archipelago together. And you yeah. plural don't have it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel as though, so like, it's not the book learning, like, you know me, I don't like the, the, when people say have theory and it's like read marks that irritates me. No, no, no. You don't a have part to of why it irritates me is because I have always felt an intuitive sense of, you know, I know when something's gelling. I know, I know when my worldview feels consistent. I know when my, like the part, the reason I've been attracted to this kind of politics and this, you know, leftist broader belief system, if you want to call it that, is because as different issues get thrown my way and new stuff comes up, I find that it like my my instincts about how to resolve them fit. I'm not I don't I'm not confronted with inconsistencies. I'm not con- confronted with hypocrisy in my own worldview, and it has led me to some conclusions about things that I know are very unpopular, but I think will actually become consensus views in the future because it fits in with the broader logic, the broader theory, if you yeah. will. Things I think last like time I borders, said borders aren't ethical, time. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got, we're, we're going to get to a place. I know politically, politically, that is not, that's, that is a non-starter. If I worked for a political campaign, I don't know what I, that I would advise a candidate to say borders are not ethical, but that I is mean, where my own morals and ethics have brought me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I both yeah. understand a sense that a nation has an obligation to its own citizens as an organizational tool, 
But I also think that that is a fundamentally unethical way to organize the planet. Well, DM25 and uh, the European Democratized Europe movement is like, and Giannis is all about, yeah, we need a we need a multinational coalition because the enemy is multinational. Their borders are yeah. convenient for them because they parse us. You mm-hmm. divide and conquer. That's what mm-hmm. borders do mm-hmm. to the hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Yeah. And so I but that's just my, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead I, I won't dump my hope I don't dump my whole pagoda theory on you right now because I don't want to take up too much time. But before I go, I'll just say everybody needs to read other Jonathan's the uh, article called The Emperor's New Commodities. Now, we were supposed to have some sort of duel, Jonathan versus Jonathan, but everything I read, I was like loving. So I don't know what we're supposed to disagree about. The only thing that bothered me about it is that he's a better writer than me and that he's a pure <laughs> person. I just hate that. Uh, maybe we should have a, um, let's have a Jonathan Love, Love Fest then. Let's okay, set something up. Let's, yeah, let's definitely set something up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what you read and... Um, I just I enjoy talking to both of you so much. So I think the audience. The I look forward to your uh, upcoming well. money episode, even though you haven't planned it yet. I hope that you do, and then I'll dump the pagoda theory on you. <laughs> okay, so. sounds good. I'm looking forward to uh, to it, Jonathan. Thanks for calling yeah, in. Keep the faith, Grandma. Keep the faith. All right, Chicago Red. What's on your mind this evening? Yo, what's the word, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> All right. How are you Woo! doing, Red? I'm good. Today was probably one of the most beautiful shows I have seen in all my days. Like, all these black <laughs> people getting together, talking politics, actually making sense, and everything. <laughs> and the police didn't come and raid and shut, try to shut y'all shit down. Very impressed that y'all managed to be close. I hear that. Uh, I'm glad you liked it, Red. I'm glad you liked it. For real. I mean, all right. So, I kind of have, like, one thing, because I'm kind of surprised, like, Marianne Williamson has kind of been, like, the whole cop, like, a main topic of conversation for today's calling. What thought the show was about her or some shit. <laughs> hey, we need to call Marianne real quick and ask her, how does she just, like, straight up ghost on the internet? Because everybody's playing up and down about this whole Zionist and Israel thing. And it's like, none of, none of y'all can find some shit about her. And I think that's what Bree's trying to point out to y'all. Like, look, if y'all gonna call <laughs> out for this shit, then yeah. we at least we need concrete proof. It's like, bam, bitch is right here. How the hell is Marion Williams? Here's the thing. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Like it didn't exist because people have pointed out that she's deleted tweets. And like, so I completely, I, I, I'm not making representations one way or the other. You know, all I'm saying is all I have is the evidence before me. And she said she didn't say it. I really looked and I, I like, I was prepared to say, I'm sorry, Marianne. Like, cause to be honest, I didn't want to put that clumsy edit in. <laughs> into the episode so if i could substantiate everything that everyone said that i didn't have to put i didn't have to come home from where i was and record that interstitial to stick in the episode and say actually that this didn't happen but i couldn't find anything so i had to cover my Marianne, bases the first person to go Marianne, the first person to go ghost on the internet like y'all ain't gonna get this shit on me you know how many politicians <laughs> so, wish you know how many politicians wish they could probably screw up the internet on some shit on them like that <laughs> But that's the thing. You can delete your Twitter, but like, I would presume that she would have said something in an interview or, or something like she does a lot of press and she did a lot of press when she ran for president. So again, I will invite her on the podcast. And she has said that she is willing to talk about all these things. And part of why I wanted people to be specific was because I want to be prepared to ask her specific things about all this stuff. Cause here's, here's how I see this playing out. If I say Marianne, people are upset that you, 
um, tweeted women and children. She's going to say, I tweeted women and children because women and children were literally texting me saying, I need help in Afghanistan. I understand now that that didn't mean like how that, how that was taken as we need to stay in Afghanistan, but I want to be clear. I do not think that we should have stayed in Afghanistan. I just think the withdrawal should have been better managed. And you can disagree with that still, but that's what she's going to say. And it's going to be a big nothing burger. So if there's more, I just want it all to get out there so that when I talk to her, we can all get it out there. I just don't think it's helpful to make statements that are too broad and too easily swatted away. If there is a there there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get it. That's what I mean, it's just like, I mean, you're the lawyer. So if anybody's going to know, look, before we place some shit on somebody, we have to be able to prove it. It's, that's totally fair and reasonable. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's funny as hell. She just, like, completely ghosted every. She just, like, completely ghosted. And it's just, like, people are swearing she said this shit. And y'all not wrong. We, we're not saying that you guys are wrong. But if we can't come at it from, like, a, we can't come at it from, like, a hardcore evidence, like, a proof standpoint. I mean, trust me. Time is, time is infinite. So if she really do feel this way, trust me. She's bound to say something stupid. If she really feels that I'm way, I'm sure. Look, every, everybody in on. the chat keeps saying there's lots of proof. Just give it to me. I, I'm not arguing with you. Just show it to me. Stop saying there's lots of proof. Just show it to me. I, I, I want to see it. I'm not trying to be tongue in cheek. I'm not trying to be cute. Just show it to me, like so that I am prepared. Because you guys obviously spend a lot more time reading Marianne's Twitter page and following stuff than I do. I, I'm gonna be honest. It's like when I was asked about Tulsa Gabbard. I I could not tell you what she's doing right now. I'm not trying to be funny. I focus on the things that are my wheelhouse. I'm not sitting here tracking, oh, what did Sam Cedar say today? Like, there are a lot of people who I just don't pay attention to 99% of the time. I I see Marianne in a social context, but I'm not, like, scrubbing her tweets. And the day of the, the Afghanistan stuff, I was with her. So apart from the morning, I didn't even look at the tweet threads. You know, like, I was with her talking in real life. I wasn't on Twitter that day. I woke up, saw it, and then went to brunch. <laughs> You know, so like I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be cute. Just if there's lots of proof, excellent. Send it to me. Let's see it. I mean, y'all heard it here first, y'all. Man, and uh, Anthony, they probably spend uh, Anthony, they probably spend like have you on a watch list now for your ballot. Right, <laughs> and uh, King Joe, they gonna have your ass on a watch list, bro. I'm hoping, for but man, I don't want to talk about Marianne that much. I kind of really did want it to just. My bad. No worries, Red. Oh, no. <laughs> but I did want to say, like, for real, I I did love this. I did love this episode. Um, and I'm I'm letting look. We have to uplift our black voices. It's definitely like a very small. I think black people minority in this country. We're definitely like a minority in like this leftist space. So this was just kind of like a real beautiful episode to see. And listen, people, we got to defend Bree. And we got to defend RBN. We got to defend all our black lefties' voices out here. Even if we disagree with them, we at least got to defend their right for them to say what they want to say. Because trust me, if they want to say, because trust me, they get a lot of they get a lot of motherfucking flack. They get a lot of motherfucking flack from people just for speaking the truth that they're speaking right now. I will say that the only thing that this beautiful black moment was missing was your sister Candace only. Because <laughs> the media just because the media just went up. The, Come on, mainstream media swear up and down that, like, there's no difference between you and Candace Owens. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> I do think her new format of her show, she's re- she's got a new set and stuff for her podcast on YouTube, and it looks gorgeous, and I literally want that for myself. So if you're Candace Owens, 
set designer and lighting person, uh, give me a shout out because I would like to hire you to design a new set situation for me. Um, but yeah, like, I that's, think that, that's, sorry, go ahead. No, and that's all the more reason why we need to lift these, that's all the more reason you got to lift y'all voices up, get y'all out there, on, get the word out there on y'all because you guys need the money, you guys need the funding, and so that way you guys can get, like, the good set designs and all that stuff, like, it's breaking points and all of these other lefties, independent media can spread out and expand the shows and shit. We need to do the exact same thing for our voices. So it's just like, I'm calling all my black people and for all my people straight up that just say, like, if y'all support it, then y'all gotta support it for real. Because, yeah. I mean, you remember when I first called, the very first time I'm calling in straight up, I said I was broke as hell, but I finally got financially stable to where I was able to afford a Patreon. I remember, and, and it kills me, Red, and it made me want you to send me, send me your email so I can just send you the links. <laughs> I'm still, man, I'm still paying this, and I'm still paying this $10, <laughs> but I'm still paying this $10, and Ew. I just moved, so this shit can fit, this shit can fit. Why are you paying $10? Only, it's only $5 a month. Because you said you got another tier that's $10 for, well, if you're hate you're hate killing it, you, me! No. Stop we, it! No. Just go down to 5 No, Bri, I'm literally, Bri, I'm literally hitting, I'm literally sitting here saying that we need to uplift these voices, and we need the fund, and we need the support. I I'm not going to sit here man. and just preach this like, you know, we gotta, gotta. But, oh, let me just ask Bri if she can send me a link for free okay, on the low and you shit. you know what? No. Let me just go right now and give some more money to JB's fund, then, if you're going to be doing all that. <laughs> let me just pass this right along, because this is ridiculous. Oh, right? man. But, no, we need to uplift these voices, because we really need you. I really love what you guys are doing. And um, before I even, before I even uh, like, let me get off real quick. I got two more uh, ones to ask because it's just like, um, because like speaking of uplifting like black voices, because we gotta support, we gotta keep this stuff funded. Because if nothing else, we gotta keep like Jay Z and Diddy and like all these motherfuckers away from RBN and Bree before they try to come up and buy them up and say, hey, hey, look, we need y'all to compromise and you stop this, that, and the third. Because um, do you know who the City Girls are? I don't think so. They're like some little rap group or whatever, and I, I just saw some of the stupidest shit in the world. I think one of them now, she's trying to go into podcasting, and she's like, I'm trying to become the Black Oprah, and I'm just like, wait, what? The the Black Oprah? <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I just got like completely confused on that, so I'm just like, okay, wait, so have we officially revoked Oprah's Black card, or... Or I'm, look, I'm not the highest grade of weed in the dispensary, but I'm I'm pretty sure Oprah is black. So why do we need a black? Why do we need another black Oprah? <laughs> so it, it, it's bad out here, y'all. So it's just like the fact that we have like some actual people of colors, African American specifically, voices out here that's really speaking that truth. We have to come on. We just have to just do all that we can to support. And Bree, please don't feel bad. It's like I said, if I'm on his, if I'm on here, and if I'm even out here in the world telling people, hey, look, y'all can just go on here, her Patreon. It's five dollars, y'all ain't got that much. I trust me, if the ten dollars become too much for you, I promise I will bump myself down to five in a heartbeat. But no, seriously, I don't don't feel bad. Don't don't feel bad about this shit. I I'm I, you know me, I'm gonna find a way out here in these streets. And uh I, I appreciate that. And I do wait while you're on that, I just do wanna say, like, I think your point about, you know, at the end of the day, even if you disagree standing by, you know, comrades in this media space, I just wanna be really clear that you know, I have been in spaces and people have said things that I think were unfair criticisms of RBN and people in RBN. And I know that you guys are hearing me right now defending, well, seeming to defend Marianne. Really, I'm just asking for specifics, but defending Marianne. I have been in different kinds of spaces where people have made judgments about RBN and whether they should take them seriously and thoughts about their rhetoric and da 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 and said things that I thought were unfair 
And I've argued back to them too. Cause I do think I, I this is, I'm an, I'm an equal opportunity. I, a lot of people are saying a lot of flippant things about people in our left community that I don't think are right. And that's, there's a difference between disagreeing with people. And I think making some kind of, there's a, can be a slippage. I don't even want to say bad faith because I don't think it's purposeful, but there can be a kind of shorthand slippage because all of our passions are high and we all care a lot and for different reasons. And it's all over the place, but I just, I just want everyone to be specific and factual and clean with their hits because we need us to be able to survive, to fight the bigger battle against other people. 100% totally. It's just So all the more reason people get that word out. Get the word out and lift, uplift these voices, especially all my black people here, because I'm be seeing some of y'all in here, even though y'all don't call in. Get that get that word out because they're doing the work out here. And I guess the second thing I wanted to ask is, Bree, um, so like if Bernie's running in 2024, are we getting this old band back together again one last time, or somebody <laughs> needs to give me a heads up? Or as as much as I've been called a Bernie apologist, I think it's pretty clear that I've said enough uh, to not be expecting the, any doors to be opening for me to be part of the band again. But you know, we'll we'll cover it and we'll follow it and we'll we'll see how it goes. You know, I I think I'm with a lot of people where you know I will I'm very happy to vote for the most progressive candidate in a primary. It's a primary, and I think it's important to have people who are saying the right things and bringing the right issues to the foreground and pushing all the candidates to the left. And if the best candidate is Bernie, I'm I'm happy to, you know, for him to be a vehicle that serves that purpose. Will I be putting my uh, life on hold and wasting my best reproductive years on that effort like I did the last time? I will not. <laughs> but I like a part part of my reason that I wouldn't want to be a part of it again is because I, to be really honest, don't I think I could have been more useful outside of the campaign than I was used inside of the campaign if I had just dated a journalist. And I don't think they trusted me to do my job or asked me to do other kinds of things that I could have done. And I felt useless a lot of the times just sitting there on the campaign on Twitter. So that's not for me, but I completely respect and appreciate why a lot of people would be excited by the prospect. You, t- you tell me red, like, well, how do you feel if Bernie runs? Oh my, oh my God. Uh, I've been fighting with myself with this shit since I saw it. Oh my, um, I mean, <sighs> I, I'll be real, and I feel like I'll get flacky in a way. If if he did run, if there and if there was no really other option, and there was really no other choice, I mean, I would do it because I really would feel. I, I would, I would personally do it. I don't. I'm not sure how much on the money end I'll do because that's just just not really finna work out for me in this in these inflation times and shit. But I I would probably just do it just because I feel like I will have to owe it to Bernie at the very least for like even being like the like being the start to towards bringing me to even think that these policies and like my political views are even possible right now. So I feel like at the very least I'll, mm-hmm. I will owe it that much to him. I'm not sure if I would have been as active as I was like in 2016 or 2020 for sure. But I mean, I would do it, but I feel like it, it, it'll just be the last hurrah. But I also kind of feel like it's like the last hurrah for the neo lives because Biden's like kind of that last, notable obama known figure around that camp because all the other ones that pretty much just like fall flat i mean look pete pete Buttigieg ain't oh we got on here pete Buttigieg ain't shit you know what i'm saying kamala harris ain't shit you know what i'm saying amy klobuchar ain't got a a bowl or a hardcore bone in her body beto O'Roy can't even make it out of his own state and everybody else we don't even know what the fuck is, we don't even know what the fuck is going on or what grave they crawl back into it 
So unless Michelle Obama just decides to like snap at her somewhere and just say, you know what, I right, fuck it, let me just do it. And I and I can personally say I don't even in these times I don't even know if Michelle Obama could win. I wouldn't even want to bet farm on it. But I think if I think we should do it, and if I if I could have my uh if I could have my dream to at the very least if Bernie do it and if he go all the way then. At the very least, then that's all the more reason why I would be justified to say, this is exactly why I'm fucking walking away from this damn Democratic Party. But if I could have my dream primary, mm. if I could have my dream primary, let's just, go, cause let's just go ahead and do this shit. Let's get Hillary Clinton and Al Gore versus Bernie Sanders and Ralph Nader and just <laughs> settle this debate once and for all as to where the hell this party is going. Because Hillary, Hillary's still out here fucking complaining about... <laughs> Seeing Trump rallies and shit. I didn't even know Trump was still doing rallies now. Like, for what? Don't he got the FBI on his ass? <laughs> shit. Yeah. I, 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 would love to, I would love to do that, too. I mean, I, look, I, I obviously appreciate as much as anybody else what the ambivalence is um, around Bernie. You know, what, one thing that I, I do think, I don't know. Maybe this makes me soft, and honestly, I don't care because I'm not going to lose my humanity in all of this. Um, but, you know, the, it, it's not, I don't think it's excuse making to acknowledge that people are people. And I think that pretending that people aren't people and aren't going to be susceptible to the vulnerabilities and like interests and self interests of human beings is going to cause you to make miscalculations about what people will really do and how hard they're really going to fight. And we got to just be honest with, about ourselves about this stuff. And like on a human level, I have a lot of understanding for why these people make the decisions they make that we find to be so disappointing. You know, he's an old guy who's given a lot and you can't take away all of the things that he's done and how he got us to this point. And I think he deserves an incredible amount of respect for that. I do. And it also totally. is very frustrating for the same reasons that he brought us all here and then it's like he dropped us off like 10 miles before we got to our destination. Right. But I mean, hey, it ain't, but I mean, hey, it ain't, hey, it ain't like we just got to stand here hopeless or whatever the shit. Yeah. We've been through worse, but you know what, but, but you know what, let me end, let me end this, let me end myself off right here because I don't want, like, I seriously love this episode, like, just this, uplift all the black voices for real because i must have shared this episode like 50 times i'm probably gonna share like 100 <laughs> more times maybe a thousand times throughout the whole weekend because it's like I'm, I'm making sure every black person that i know at least sees this shit because i and you know what fuck the whole and i know i joke i talk too much shit and joke around here too much like a real dope episode would be bad state podcast rbn and dr cornell west mm -hmm. coming together and like having an episode that would be super dope now fuck Fuck Anderson. I mean, now if all, all y'all want to come together and finally jump at, and finally jump ass in an initiation, then that'd be dope. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like Black History was made tonight. So mark this date down for the count. Mark this date down for the record, y'all. Black History was made tonight, and I'm really hoping for more great things from you. Love you, Bree. I could give you all the flowers in the world for all the great work that you out here doing. And to all the bad faith listeners, I love y'all, man. I love y'all out here. Keep up that fight and keep up that faith, man. I'm going to holler at y'all because I got to go to court in the morning. So I got to hurry up and get home. Oh, no, I'm not even going to ask. Thank you for calling in, Red. Oh, it ain't nothing bad. It ain't nothing bad. It ain't nothing bad. I got, a, I got some 
shit I gotta handle. <laughs> okay, right. My, Good luck to you. Shit I gotta handle with my uh birth certificate okay, and shit. Right. So okay, hey, we good. We're but... for you either way, Red. <laughs> Yeah, I might get my ass deported about this motherfucker right now. We never know. This <laughs> shit go. Thank you. But y'all keep, keep the, the faith. faith. Red. Keep the faith. All right. Someone said they got booted to the back. Uh, um, it was Jonathan, wasn't it? But no, Jonathan just gave up. Okay. Let me know if you said you were the, you're the one that said you were booted to the back. Uh, but Allende, uh, you're up. Let us know what's on your mind. Hi. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, I, I think uh, the last time the last time I called and then I I closed the app and I, as soon as it hangs up it hangs up when um when you close the app but that's not the case and I saw later on that you were like calling me to like speak but um so I have three things to get to the first one's really quick um so before you interview Yang did you see an interview that Kim Iverson did with um Sabi explaining the forward party? Uh, I don't know about before I interviewed Yang. I don't think I've interviewed Yang since that. But yeah, I saw that I saw that segment. Well, no, like um I'm I'm just saying like as preparation if you saw if you no, saw I don't it. think I've interviewed Andrew Yang since Oh, you mean on on Rising? No, no. I'm saying like before you had mentioned before that you that Andrew Yang was slated to like make an appearance on the Bad Face podcast sometime soon. Yeah, you had mentioned I, it before, just, and I'm yeah, just saying before. Up. Okay, and I'm and I um I'm just saying like that video that interview was like very. It was basically it basically outlined all the things that all the concerns that we had. Um, and he retweeted. I think he retweeted. Or like link the her explanation, so kind of co-signing. That's what it is. So I I just wanted to you know make sure you saw. No, that. I've seen it, and you know all due respect, I don't think it addressed any of my concerns. Andrew Yang doesn't. He is very clear that he thinks the forward party should accept corporate money. That's not okay. So he I, I, the the criticisms they addressed were not my criticisms. I've never criticized the forward party for not having a platform. I've never criticized them for having conservative candidates. I've never criticized them for any of that. I don't, I don't care if they run a candidate who hates abortion and wants to deport everybody and hates trans kids. Like the, I, I understand that the, the gist of the party isn't about substantive politics, but if the whole point of the party is to break up the two-party duopoly, the fundamental characteristic of the duopoly is that it is a bought captured political entity that is fueled by special interests. So if you don't also want to be just like them, you have to reject that money. And Andrew Yang has explicitly said he's not going to do so. So that remains a problem. Point blank period. That's the oh, okay. whole core of it. Well, I, I didn't really, I didn't really want to dwell on that. I just wanted to make sure it was like, you know, you yeah, saw no, that. I saw it. I just, I, you, you know, know, and it's a great interview, okay. but I, it wasn't at all responsive to my critique of the forward party. Okay. Okay. And um so my next thing is like I've I've really thought about like this scenario cuz like we're in this weird like limbo where for some reason somehow like I don't believe it. Like I actually don't believe it. But for some reason somehow there's a chance that the Dems can have like both the Senate and the mm -hmm. House coming mm -hmm. out of this. I don't believe it. But <laughs> let's imagine that it happens, mm -hmm. right? I think that that will be one of the greatest like I feel like everyone on the left should be rooting for that outcome. Why? Like, just just so you know, I have I basically have the identical thoughts as to you on like electoralism or whatever. Everything you said, I basically mm -hmm. co-sign, right? But I thought about this one scenario, and 
And like, think about it. When was the last time a president and a party in power, right, that, like that controlled the trifecta, faced an election, right? Like, think about the demand, the type of demand. Like, there is no more this question of things that you know we would do with this, with this, like you know, type of power or whatever, whatever. Like every every debate, every like media cycle. The president and everyone or everyone running for president is going to have to deliver something like like there will be in the position to actually deliver something. Right. And even like when it comes to like Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema, like they they face. I think if I'm right, they both face primaries um, next next like in 2024. So like it is going to be this really like if this actually happens right some way, somehow, which I doubt is going to happen. If that actually happens, this will be like, un- I don't think I, th- that scenario has ever played out in my lifetime. So like the past 20 something years, I-, I could be wrong. I don't know. So like, what are your thoughts on that? I, I'm, a, I'm a little, com- I got a little lost. I'm sorry. What, I, what is, what is the, the scenario that hasn't played out before? The, um, like the president and the party, like, so the president facing a primary mm-hmm. or like where the party's actually in power. So it's not like the situation where it's like you're you're running while Trump is president, mm-hmm. right? You're running while like Joe Biden is running while he controls the the house and the senate. So and you're right? saying a primary challenger when we still have the congress. Yeah, a primary challenger when we still have the congress is like I don't think that's I don't know if that's happened before in my lifetime. I mean, I, I don't know either. I, I have no, you know, historical insight to that. But I'm curious what that means for you. Like, how that changes because the calculus. Because what that means for... How that changes the calculus is that, like, like when the debates actually mm-hmm. happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, it is not going to be this case where they're just, like, they, they're just saying stuff. Like, you, you actually have the power. So it's like, what are you actually doing? Right? It's so like, when mm-hmm. in the 2020 primary or the 2016 primary, right? Like the excuse was, oh, like the Senate's there, right? I mean, the Republicans have the Senate or Trump's in power, right? We can't actually do anything. We're going to do stuff if we're in power, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in this scenario, like you're in power. So what do you actually do? What are you going to do for me? I see. Like, so no, in, my, my no? read on that is that it, you know, unfortunately doesn't uh matter because the they have been in power and no one still will hold them accountable like no one's interested in that like i hear what you're saying that like a candidate could say oh biden i'm primarying you because you could have done x y and z and you didn't um i mean yeah i i that would be nice and it's not just biden it's also like the most like the, the two people who we, you know, the rotating mm-hmm. villains, right? They're going to have to find new rotating villains or the rotating villains are going to have to risk, like, not being, not Wait, being why, Sanders Why will anymore. they need to find you new know? rotating villains? Because Manchin will actually face a primary. I think Cinema is also oh, going to face sorry. a primary in 2024. You're talking about, I'm sorry, are we talking about a presidential election? Are we t- we're talking about... I'm talking, like, I'm talking about, so, like, it's... I'm speaking about like the election season in general in 2024. If it's the case where Biden has both the House and the Senate, right? Like it is, it is not only is it going to be the case that you're going to be, you're like Biden's going to be on his best, like 
on his best possible behavior because he's like facing a primary. But it's also going to be true that the two rotating vil- the two rotating villains that we have, Chris Cinema and Mansion, they're also going to have to be on their best behavior, or you know, just like not you know I, leave I politics because they were also I, they I, were also I, I want primaries. this to be. I want this to be. It's a very logical way that the world should work. But what we've seen is that Lantern and Cinema have faced primary challenges and defeated them soundly, and nobody cares. And or Cinema is people believe that she just doesn't care if she is reelected because she's made her bed and she's happy to leave Congress and make a bunch of money with conservatives. We saw Joe Biden running with the ultimate pressure to defeat Donald Trump in the middle of a pandemic. And he still opened his mouth and said, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. We're going to fund the police harder. Uh, Fuck them kids. And every other kind of thing that he said during 2020 and didn't make a difference. And people (laughs) still lined up and voted for him. So I I, I hear what you're saying that, you know, this current posture of the congressional makeup and power makes it easy for a challenger to expose that Biden isn't actually interested in acting in the people's interest. But I think there's a lot of evidence of that already. And regretfully, no one seems to care. No, no, it might be different if it's like a presidential candidate, like on a debate stage, making the arguments that we've all been making on these podcasts. Like it could be. And also like, I was like, no, like even with the, the mansion, the mansion point, like in 2018, the Dems weren't in power. Like I, I'm trying to outline that it, it it is the uniquest of scenarios where like everyone's facing a primary, right? And everyone's in power. So like there's no there's no like I'm not saying it's a perfect scenario where things are just gonna end up how we want it to, but I'm just saying like in that scenario, like that is the point of maximum leverage for for the left in a democratic primary. Like that, I don't think that exists in any other like time. Uh, you know, I, 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 again, I don't know that that hasn't happened before. I have no reason to believe that that hasn't happened before. Um, well, it, it didn't happen. Like I, I'm young, so it didn't happen in Obama. So as far as I'm concerned, it hasn't happened in my lifetime. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. You know, so let's take that example. If someone had challenged Bernie Sanders in 2012, as you know, Bernie Sanders threatened to do because they were going to cut Social Security. Um, would that have been an opportunity for the left? You know, I don't know, especially given the parties involved then. I think it probably would have been a disaster for for um, Bernie. I might have even been someone at that point who was like yelling about Bernie bros trying to take down the first black president, <laughs> you know. So I think it's very, I think it's all very context specific, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I you know, obviously okay. I, I agree with the idea of trying to expose that Democrats don't really care. Um, I'm just not entirely bought into the idea that that, you know, moment in time is more beneficial than the moment in time we're living in right now when nobody gives a shit or 2020 when people felt complete latitude to be deeply disrespectful to black people or look that leaked biden call with um all the black leaders in america where he was so disrespectful 
and basically told black people, your turn's over. It's all about Latinos now. They're more than you, and you should, guys should just sit down and shut up. You know, all that happened after he won the election, but before uh, he had taken office, while Trump was still very much saying that he wanted to do a coup, and um, while, or not do a coup, but, but while he was saying the election was stolen, and also before they had won Georgia. So this was a moment when I would argue that black people had just to take one demographic group, had an incredible amount of leverage. Um, but Biden didn't give a, give a damn. People in that call, because I was, I was re-watching it because I had hoped to pull a clip for today's episode and I just didn't feel like watching the whole hour and 40 minutes and couldn't find the clip I was looking for, but I watched large swaths of it. And at one point, I had forgotten, like some of the advice he got was about not appointing Tom Vilsick to agri- agriculture, agriculture, um, uh, what do you call it? I'm sorry, I'm fading a little bit. The Secretary of Agriculture, um, and that uh, Marsha Fudge should be in that seat. There's many layers here, but one, Marsha Fudge is black. Two, um, she is very qualified and was very liked in the state for reasons because of a previous position she had that I'm too sleepy to remember right now. Um, three, Tom Vilsack had been Secretary of Agriculture and had been disliked um, as a consequence. And they were warning that the people of Georgia might be disinclined to vote for Biden if he made this move and it might piss off the state. And instead of taking that advice, also there were substantive reasons why Marsha Fudge would be better. She had been better with food for the, some of these food for the poor programs and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And Biden basically like shot all over the people who were trying to lead him gently in that direction and explained to him what the contours of the moment where they were like, I know Tom, he's a good guy. You just don't know Tom like me. You're not familiar with the issue and was berating folks and being a real asshole. You know, and that should have been like, there's no leverage over Biden. Like he does what he wants to do and everybody else gets in line. Honey Badger don't give a damn, you know? So I'm not saying that you're not right about like the potential of a moment. I just think that given the players involved and how Americans are so like blue pilled on the Democratic Party, it just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I take your point. And the last thing um, that I wanted to discuss is. Like, I've been thinking more generally about, like, left-wing economic policy and why and, like, some of the, like, critiques that people, like, neoliberals or, like, specifically, like, I don't know if you see them on Twitter, like, Matt, Matt Iglesias and, like, I think no opinion, Noah mm-hmm. opinion is, is you, you know, the economist there and, like, other ones. And I... I've been thinking about, like, the downsides, a lot of, like, the approaches, like, leftists tend to take, and, like, I've, I've, by listening to everyone's criticisms, like, even, like, you know, Richard Wolff's, uh, I'm sort of a student of his, too, I've watched, like, all of his lectures, and, like, I kind of see all of his points as well, and, like, I came to the conclusion that, like, basically, let me outline what I think is the best general economic model really quickly, which is, like, stay with me here, which is having the least amount of regulation as possible at the same time taxing, ex- like, negative externalities, like pollution, whatever, whatever, like, to the ump degree, whatever it is, like, whatever it costs, like, you, and even if it's, like, through some LLC or whatever, if this, if there's, like, damage to water, you find whoever owns the LLC and you confiscate their, their wealth, whatever, whatever, those two things you ta- like even though the, like people on the left hate it like 
even some regressive like taxes, like value added tax or land value tax or um, general taxes on consumption, give it back to people as UBI. You have the state or the government um, come in and build, make products, right? So like if, it, if it's the case with like the thing in California where, um, you know, drugs have drug, like, you know, drug prices are ridiculous. You just have the state come in, they make the stuff and they make it low cost or at cost. And then at the same time, you create public banks and a, and a system that finances worker cooperatives so that that is so that they have the edge and that they are the dominant um, work like, you know, structure in the in the economy. So you still have a space for private ownership. You have a space for um, worker co-op, worker cooperatives and you have a space for state ownership. But but they're all competing with each other in a way that in a way that compensates for each other's downsides in, in a way that's not heavy handed. So like if it's the case where like the private the private um person or whatever the private owners are like abusing the workers, the workers have a choice to work at the co-op. If it's the case that the the um the goods are too expensive and there's really like a, a an easy way to make them cheaper, you have the government come in to undercut. And you know, y- you kind of get the point. So what are your thoughts there? I think my friend that you have asked now two very lengthy compound questions and there's a very long queue and I'm, I'm losing a little bit of energy and attention span. I'm not going to say, it, but your general, your point, first point generally about how much good can come from making people internalize costs and how to the extent that there is something along the lines of efficiency, market efficiency, if you will, we're nowhere near it because people are able to externalize costs and our legal system isn't built to hold people accountable, corporations accountable. I think that's completely correct. Now, am I confident in our ability as a society to genuinely force people to internalize costs? What, what I'm talking about is or internalized externalities. So the cost of making an unsafe car, the cost of polluting, you know, if corporate being that if corporations actually had to pay for the damage they were causing the world, they would produce more efficient, efficiently. They would make safer products or make fewer products so that the cost benefit actually weighed out. Um, it's hard because it's hard to actually evaluate what the value of a life lost is from pollution or to prove causation. You know, who, how much of the damage or the lives lost in Florida were the result of how much pollution by some company that caused the ocean to rise by what degree, you know, it's just impossible to prove. So there are limits to that approach, but generally speaking, I do think there's something to be said for getting rid of some government bureaucracy and relying on some other kinds of checks and balances. All right. Thank Thank you. you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm losing steam a little bit. I can answer questions like yes, no to Chris Hayes, Chris Hayes, Chris Hedges running for president. That's about where I am at this point in the evening. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Andy. I'm sorry. It's okay. Have, keep the faith. Um, Sam, you said you fell to the back. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm losing my voice. You said you fell to the back, so I'm bringing you up. Oh, this is an honor system. So everybody, everybody boo, hiss, and yell at Sam <laughs> if he didn't really lose his place in line. <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. Well, thankfully, um, they're all, they're not actively in the call, and we can't hear their their hisses, so we're fine. <laughs> I'm okay regardless. And it's also recorded, so I mean, we have a record, and that's fine. 
I, I wish I was lying and got up here because that would be, you know, I would have saved myself some time. So <laughs> how are you doing, Bree? Uh, I'm doing well. Tired. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I think I started, I opened a, a beer when I started this. I don't know if I just got sleepy because the sour monkey ale kicked in or whether I've just been talking all day that and sounds... my voice just left me oh. or what? You know, I think it's, pro- it's probably not sour monkey ale. It's pretty, that sounds pretty intense. Um, but it, gets, it got pretty bland after a bit with a couple of these questions. Not the last caller. I'm not trying to be mean pick. A couple of you guys asking this. I mean, your theory, theories of life aren't going to change our, our world view today guys, or tomorrow. No, and they're not going guys, to change the economic be, system tomorrow. You guys tomorrow. have to be nice to each other. I'm so tired of this. I'm tired. Here's what. I'm tired of making you guys all act the modicum of fucking decency to each other. And then I'm somehow a sellout and a patsy for asking you just to be like basically polite to each other in my personal space. <laughs> I'm well, tired of it. You know, I would defend you too, yeah, and you wouldn't be yeah. mad if I defended you. I'm defending all of you. Please just be nice to each other, because I don't. Because I am That's complicit in whatever you say when you do it in my space. That's all. Do what you want. Cuss each other out on your own time. Well, <laughs> look, if we can get you cancer free, then then all the better for it. So that we have we have a, we have a, a collective better understanding of how shitty things are. So let me let me just let me start here. So I actually get, get, go, get going here. I don't want to take up everyone's time. So you know I, I've uh, I've been watching you for a long time, Bree. I appreciate your perspective and that you're an actual you're actually a very intelligent person, versus a lot of other people that just stuff their rhetoric. You're one of the most intelligent people in the space, right? I'll I'll admit that. And what's what's great about your background is that you have the ability to articulate, um, not only because of your just intelligence, but your linguistic ability and your background, your legal background. So you're able to form thoughts that are coherent and you're able to convince people effectively. And you're able to ask questions that obviously you lead people to like, think that you're more open-minded about things which you've already had a conclusive thought on, like when you're speaking with Robbie or when you're speaking with, with people that you disagree with, or you'll even throw counterfactual people that you do agree with. It's pretty interesting. But in terms of defending people like David Sirota, Mary, Marianne Williamson, the PMC, whatever, you have personal relations with these people. So I understand you're, you're wanting to defend them. I'm not defending them. them. Holy but, shit. You, Go, look, I promise you, you, go cuss David Sirota out. Go tweet at him. Go call him a piece of shit. Go, like, go do it. Why do you need my permission? Why do you need me to say look, that I me, would use the, the same chance. language you would so, use to oh describe these people? Guys, like, I'm not your mom. I, I'm not your mom. You, you, you guys can go and do and say and feel whatever you want to feel. I respect it. I feel differently. But I will. I, I'm not. I don't even want to talk about how I feel. But everyone is demanding that I opine on things and have the same opinions as them. I. I'm not going to apologize for feeling differently. I am more. I'm going to tell you this. What really pisses me off is I am more disappointed by all these people than you are because of my personal relationships. But I have an obligation mm-hmm. to make my criticisms to their face because I know them. So I, as I have done repeatedly, will continue to make. 
arguments to people who I have to suffer the personal consequences of making those arguments to. You don't have to. It's easy for you to go and say, oh, so-and-so's a uh, fascist on the internet because you don't have to contend with the real-life reality of that. And that's fine. I'm not saying that it's like anybody should feel bad for me or anything because I do it. I stand up and I do it every single week on this show. No one else can say that. Yeah, so so I, I'm sorry. I'm so not going to use the same language that someone themselves probably wouldn't use to David Sagrota's face of all, all things being told. Yeah. I don't know who, who's a fascist and whatnot. I never called anyone it's, a fascist. It's, an I, I it's just, it's like it's so silly. Through. I don't uh, understand why people – what do you want me to say? I don't hate David Sirota. If you want me to hate David Sirota, that's not going to happen. And if I'm a sellout for not hating yeah. the man without whom I literally couldn't do my show because he does some of the most important investigative reporting. People are out here. I see people tweeting like, well, Matt Taibbi did this and Matt Taibbi did that. Matt Taibbi did not explain to me patiently. <laughs> Matt Taibbi did not get on the phone or write an article or explain the legislative realities of force the vote. One person did that. One person did that, and his name was David Sirota. So I have, I'll give you a quick example. I have friends that are VC investors. Okay, they're very well off. They're from a completely different background than me. My background is in neuroscience and the medical field. And they're doing much better than I am. And, you know, guess what? I disagree with them on things. I'll say to them, I still don't like, I still like the best people. I'll call them out on things. You know, I, I, I'll be straightforward about it, whatever. Straight same thing with David Sorota and them. They're good people in general. They come from a different background. Fine. You know, I never, I'm not asking you to call them fascists or to say, hey, I don't want to talk with you. I'm not asking you to cancel them. We are people that have mostly similar values. We have small disagreements that end, end up leading to a, a, a very big difference long term. That's what I, that's what I am saying. I wouldn't defend a person on something if I believe that they're wrong on something, and I'm not going to cancel them or. Yeah, stop I, I don't. What, have I not said that someone's wrong on something that they're not wrong on? I ask for some substantiation. I, well, if I if I'm ignorant of something, if you come up to me and tell me, if you come up to me and tell me, um, uh, Corey Bush slapped a child in the face. I'd be like, wow, that sounds bad. You shouldn't slap kids in the face. But can you just explain to me when that happened or give me some proof? That's not me defending Cori Bush. That's me asking for the basic, you know, the basic crumb of evidence before I just believe something that doesn't gel with my personal experience of somebody. But I'm open to it. Look, if Cori Bush slaps on the face, let's go. Let's go get her. Let's cancel the shit out of her. But, like, all I want, could you just, like, I'm sorry, just let me know? Just, like, point me in the direction of the video where I can see the slapping? That, that's all I'm saying. So, so all of this stuff about David Sirota, like, coming to force the vote late, I think that I think that he does is a little trigger happy on the internet in terms of blocking and muting people. But also, frankly, I understand because some of you guys think you're being very rational and making your points very politely. But honestly, you come off like assholes. And you don't know what it feels like to have 300,000 assholes screaming at you every day. And sometimes you need to make a little peace. Me, I mute people because I don't want to give them the satisfaction of crying about how they've been blocked. I only block people who have very small accounts who are clearly trolls and harassing me. You know, but David Sirota makes different choices. And I respect, look, I respect you. If you're, if you don't like that, he did that. That's completely fair. That's complete. I'm not arguing with you. That is completely fair. If you feel irritated that you got caught hey, up in David, a block, that's David, completely fair. David, if you ever watch this, I like the movie. <laughs> Marianne, 
I love your spiritual side. But that's, that's the other thing. Like, I have never right? mentioned David's movie. I have never said David's so great because he made, like, he has an yeah. Oscar. Like, that's not a thing that I've ever said. I, I appreciate I, I David get, for I, very specific reasons. Because despite the fact that everyone's mad at him and hates him all the time, <laughs> he still churns out some of the most important investigative reporting. I would say the most important investigative reporting on the left. Matt Taibbi writes, writes great articles and does great coverage of foreign policy and does other kinds of things that are equally valuable. But for what I do, talking about domestic policy in the United States of America and what's happening on the Hill, no one, no one yeah. replaces David Sirota. That's just true. Hey, Brianna, I think that I think that you've been traumatized by the internet. So my point coming on, coming on and mentioning them was to start off moving towards this idea of the PMC in general. And I, I have no qualm with David Sirota or Marion Williamson, I, even though I disagree with them on- You can you have know, qualms. My How about their moms? You're allowed to have all the qualms in the world. That's fine. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not the point, you know? Sure. So I don't want to get stuck on them. So I, I don't like this, this class of people. And I have fine, I'm fine with them, by the way. I think that you're, you may be over, because I say their name, it's triggering you a little bit because of these other assholes that have been mentioning them all the time. And I'm not the best at phrasing things, so maybe it came off the wrong way. Um, the PMC, this, this class of people, they get comfortable. They're, they get selfish like the rest of us. They become careerists, and they want to move forward and have children. I understand that. Okay, all good, all good and well. But these these people are not willing to hold accountable or representatives which they advocate for that aren't doing what the Green Party did and holding back their votes and forcing these neo-libtards like Pelosi and the rest of them to take off their masks and show that they're gonna they will they will change their policy to become much more right-wing to get it passed because their backers need certain legislation to get passed so they'll they'll take away the child tax credit or mm -hmm. cut it down, add some Republican shit to it, and then eventually after delay they'll pass it in a terrible way because they're not going to give in to the to to uh, AOC and the rest of them, and they AOC and the rest of them need to need to be willing to make that concrete difficult choice. And I know it's difficult. The child tax credit and all this and that, it's a difficult time for people. Like, are we seriously not going to give them the crumbs that they may need for the short, this short period of time? Yes. While there may be international issues that the Biden administration is facing or did face back then, way back then, and the other things that we don't hear about, these wealthy people whispering in the ears of AOC and the Justin Democrats, pushing them to give crumbs to the, to the normies and not holding back their votes, to, to show that like Pelosi and these rest of these terrible people are terrible people is the fact that we're never going to get any change. And the fact that David Sirota and the rest of them are going to perpetuate this system shows how unserious they are. They're interesting people, smart people, but they're also dumb. Okay. And I'm going to say it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Sirota directly. He's just the name that keeps coming up in this conversation. It's the PMC. Okay. And we, we can keep just juxtaposing these issues and talking about them and go back and forth. It's going to happen again and again. Every conversation gets back, gets back to this point. We're not willing to put a, a line in the sand. Like Malcolm X, if Malcolm X was in Congress, he would not compromise. 
and he would get what he wants. You know what's funny? I think I don't know that that's true because the act of Congress is so. It's not an indictment of Malcolm X. It's an indictment of what it means to be in Congress. I mean, I just don't know. I know he would. (laughs) He would never get. He shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think that good people should. To be honest, I'm saying if we could, if we could, if we could shuttle Malcolm X into the Senate, Mm -hmm. he would get what he wants because he would. He would not vote. He would not vote. He would, he would, he would literally hold back his vote. He would vote well, no they'd kill him on again. everything until he, he was see. They would, and that's what we need our representatives to be willing to do. Otherwise, we're not going to get anything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, can we agree on that? I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to sit here and say that uh, we need representatives who get killed, but the general principle of needing to be so adversarial that they would be willing to do whatever to get rid of you, uh, yes, I agree with. Okay, so let's say, so AOC and the rest of them, whether it's Tlaib or Rashid, like, yeah, everybody, or even Omar, the fact that they allow this international imperialist policy to continue forward Mm -hmm. and they don't hold back their votes for serious structural change, not a temporary temporary policy or something small that stays in effect for 10 years, serious structural change. They're not willing to hold back their vote to get something concrete that's going to make the top 1% bleed and actually create some benefit for the lower 99% just shows that they're compromised. And the fact that at the very beginning, when they are naive, that they're willing not to, not to do it, later on when they are willing to do it, the fact is that that, that, um, that policy has already been compromised and it's, it's going to benefit the elite and wealthy more than anybody else. And we're fucked. And we need people like, JV, Rome, Nick, and the rest of them to focus. I, I hope they can focus not just on the on, on the ground, Paul, on the ground like activism and um, spreading spreading uh, resources for the, lo- the lower class right now, but rather to really highlight that so that there actually is change because that's the only route. And we need mass a mass understanding of that and to get rid of this PC culture that cancels people. And just reformed them to understanding we need a we need a Tea Party movement in Congress or fuck you guys. That's that that's all there is to it. Yeah. So I mean, I you know, long and short of that is a much more adversarial style of politics, which you know I, I obviously agree with. Yeah. And I think that's pretty that's pretty straightforward. I don't know why everyone makes it so complicated. And like Nick, pretty intelligent guy. Um, I like where he comes from. I wish he talked about that a little bit more. We need a Tea Party movement. He he's, does. He's also said the same thing in the past. He said the same thing in the past, but he also said electoralism itself is not going to get anywhere. No, there is actually a possibility, and it's not like with the rest of the PMC. It, it involves actual, like, rioting. It involves actually getting upset and out there. Or you can call it protesting, you can call it rioting, whatever you call it, whatever you want. I like Nick because I agree with him on that a lot. Um, and I think he's mentioned in the past. I'm just saying, focus on it more. Yeah, and, I, I and don't. For, and for Nick, just one more thing. He's he said in the past, and I'm just mentioning it here because I, he has a chance of actually hearing it from you. Freedoms and rights are extremely important. We've got an, got an understanding of that during the pandemic, and these um, I I spent time with both communists and lib and libertarians, communists that don't believe in. I guarantee rights 
are going to end up fucking themselves over really hard in the future. They're not going to get the system they want because they're not you know, disorganized in the first place. And if you don't even believe in protecting rights, then might as well just walk out the door now because it's very unserious. You have to protect and guarantee rights to people on top of um, your social community policies. So just throwing it out there. Love you guys. Love RBN. I'm glad you had them on. I'm really glad that you guys are interacting. You and Savvy are very similar from different backgrounds. She's able to say a lot more than you can because you're restricted by your PMC cancel culture that you're surrounded by. <laughs> okay. But um, I, I, lo- I love okay. you guys. All right. Thank you. Sebs, what's on your mind? Take care. Hey. Hey, Sebs. What's on your mind tonight? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. What's on your mind tonight? Um, I watched the Olajemi inter- interview debate thingy of the way that you told me mm-hmm. last week, and I hate it because I was very mad and infuriated, and, and I, I already didn't need more proof that Tank was a reactionary, but I got it, thanks to you, so I hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad you watched it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you watched it because I think Olay is great, and I'm really glad that she, you know, I think a lot of was- leftists have frankly abandoned criminal justice issues, and it was like the really cool thing, like the subversive, like I'm a serious leftist thing to be like, oh, I think defund is a bad slogan and I'm going to back away from bail reform because it loses elections and it's hurting the squad and all of that. And so I'm just, I'm very grateful that she and a handful of other people who are public defenders, um, you know, the couple of guys we've had on the show as well are still out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it was interesting because you recommended it to me and like the following day i think nick had mentioned it in the stream and i literally paused and i was like fuck okay i'm watching this because i don't know what happened and yeah i died mm-hmm. uh the other thing i wanted to mention is oh yeah i don't know I, like i get both sides in what like why everyone's kind of mad at you but it doesn't make sense that they are mad at you because you are asking for like concrete arguments. I'm literally not even arguing against anybody. I'm just arguing to substantiate yeah. your point. And you guys are telling on <laughs> no, yourselves no, 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 no. by not being. No, not, no, no. no. I'm, I'm saying yeah, yeah, that the people, yeah. like you are asking them for concrete <laughs> just arguments tell me what you're, the that they are is. not giving you. By the way, yeah. I do want to give credit to I, I, um, Rimshaw on Twitter who tweeted me some links. And I can't obviously watch the videos right now while I'm on this call. But to the extent that I can read like the screenshots of Marianne that she deleted, like. I can, mm-hmm. this is what, this is what we said. Like, I have heard her say that she believes in an explicitly, you know, Jewish state and a one state solution. And I disagree and have disagreed to her face and will disagree with her again when she comes on the show. And I think that's completely fair to criticize her for. Then if that is, you know, what we mean when she, we say she's a Zionist, that's all very fair. Some of this other stuff though, there's no, I'm not seeing evidence here. And again, I'd be in some of these videos that I can't click on right now because I'm recording this. But I'm not seeing the evidence that she said, um, uh, uh, the, yeah, sorry, the stuff about um, uh, Israel uh, uh, being able to defend itself and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I do think all of the stuff about Ukraine and the, her posture about Ukraine is 
less than ideal. <laughs> um, so that that's all good. And I like Rimsha, I appreciate you sending me this stuff. I'm saving this in my Slack file and I will use it when I interview her next. I have no pushback. I'm literally thanking you for doing what I asked you to do. We're not on opposite sides of this. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, like and that's a problem I've seen a lot. Uh, I, I, I want to say in the on the left, but it's everywhere on the internet. Like people don't actually know how to like what an argument is. <laughs> they think, oh, this person is, is weak. It's an argument, even though it's not, you're not saying anything. You're just like, at this point, you're basically just like uh, virtue signaling. Honestly, like, for, like, honestly, because like, okay, they're weak. Why are they weak? In what sense do you mean that they are weak? You know, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah 100%. Because otherwise it sounds like an ad hominem. I'm some... sorry, that's not a, like, this yeah. is appropriate on your channel. It's just not appropriate on mine. I cannot... I'm not going to co-sign something like that, but you can say it on your own time. That's completely fine. But don't try to drag me into it because unlike everyone else, I have no interest in having petty personal disputes with everyone on the left. And I think that everyone else should consider whether or not it's actually productive to solidarity and the interest of this movement that everyone says they care so much about to be so focused on individual interpersonal disputes. I have a list of my along of people on the left who I really hate. <laughs> You will not hear that list because it's not relevant. And when they do good work, I still talk to them, invite them on my podcast, re retweet their shit, etc. Because it's not about me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I do also want to mention that it's kind of weird that these people have um, certain lines with imperialism, which I, I do have the same line, so don't scream at me, but they don't have other lines with, for example, sexual assault, which I'm not going to get into, but yeah. Um, Wait, I'm sorry, what is, uh, I, 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 I don't mean to have missed that point, it sounded important. What, what is it that they don't have res with respect to sexual assault? Like, for example, there are people that they like, that they have openly admitted, or it is openly known that they are sexual assaulters, mm. but they still, for example, support them, and I'm like, why is that not a line to not support those people? Yeah, you know? I mean, look, I, again, I don't, I, I just want to be clear. I think that most of the critiques were substantive and right, which is why, well, that's the other funny thing about the posture of this call. And like 90% of the stuff they said I agreed with. It, that's, it's just so weird to be like, oh, you didn't let them say criticisms about your friends. Like they literally said dozens of criticisms about my friends that I actually agreed with and have actually said to those people's faces on that very podcast. So it's just a weird, it's a weird, like, what are you, tone policing me? Because I don't have enough edge in my voice when I say, David, I disagree with you. I have to say, David, you're a weak cuck, and I disagree with you. Not that they said that either. I don't mean to put words in their mouth or misrepresent their argument. They didn't say that either. But you know what I mean? Like, the, this is getting so silly. Like, can anybody actually say what they're mad at right now? I'm, like, screaming, I agree with you at the top of my lungs, and you're, these people are still mad. Uh, but I did also want to bring up something that CJ mentioned, because mm -hmm. uh, in the interview you mentioned that David Sorora had made some, like, journaling about why the Democratic Party is bad or something along those lines. I don't remember your wording. And then CJ, in, when they were reacting today, 
mention how there have been other journalists that have done that uh, even before David Sorora. And I think that's a valid point. However, I do like understand that because those journalists that have been working or have that even more left uh, perspective, because they are more radical, uh, are, will tend to be less, uh, well, will get less exposure in general. The algorithm okay, are I'm going open, to I'm make them to even argument. more difficult. Tell me to, the name of the, tell yeah. me the name of the journalist who was detailing the congressional posture at the moment of force the vote in the fight for 15, whose work I should be reading instead of David Sorotos. Okay. <laughs> this is why I mentioned, I said like in general, yeah, but why that, the Democratic that in general Party shit, bad. No, I'm sorry, that in general shit is slippery yeah, as hell no, 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 and it lets but, people get but, away with, okay, with okay. stuff that's not ah. true. Like, look, it, it might be true. Like, obviously, somewhere on planet Earth, there's someone who's following, who, who knows congressional procedure as well as David Zerota, who might be writing about it somewhere on the internet. But I personally have not found that person. And I don't understand what the investment is in diminishing that Davis wrote it for better or for, wor for worse, obviously, because it would be great if we had more voices, but it's serving a very unique role here on, on, in, in our space. And you, that can, that can also be true at the same time that you critique him. But that's what uh, all I said on the podcast is we don't have to diminish the value of David Sirota's work and act like, oh, he's a dime a dozen, or you could have just followed someone else to make legitimate criticisms about how, what comes with following his work is his, his, um, the implication that we should still be committed to the Democratic Party, or sometimes his direct claim that it's the better thing to do or the most more sensible thing to do to continue to vote for Democrats. Both of those things can be true. It's not that hard. <laughs> I just wanted to shout out Margaret Kimberly because CJ mentioned her and I like her. So yeah. Yeah, Margaret Kimberly. Margaret Kimberly is great. But if Margaret Kimberly. Yeah, I know resource. she didn't do the exact same like that's, that's article that you wanted and, and specifically. And everyone has got to yeah. stop saying article and he just he writes well. <laughs> it's not about that. He is an investigative reporter and that shit is hard. All of the shit like I am I'm I'm like everybody else. I sit and I pull other people's clips and look at other people's writing and do look at other people's research and other people's work and I make videos about it all day. And I'm not saying there's not value in that, but I have been a journalist. It is harder. Okay, it's hard. Yes. And our entire media ecosystem is contingent on these people, like them or not, churning this shit out. So I might have, I have problems with a lot of journalists at a lot of, you know, there's a labor journalist in particular that I got real mad at last year. Got around fourth of vote. I got real fucking mad at. But you know what? They do some of the best labor coverage that's out there. And I continue to follow them. I continue to retweet them. I've asked them on my show. They've declined i think partly because they still don't have a whole high opinion of me because of force the vote but i don't care because what they have to say is important and i'm going to keep trying do you know what i'm saying it's not yeah. about me do we want this good labor coverage or not they were they, this yeah. person was wrong on force the vote and at the time i was livid and i unsubscribed from their Substack, and i was pissed Oh. <laughs> but like I didn't say anything publicly because it's not about me and they are adding value to this space they are and if forcible comes up again or something like that and they get in the way I will say you're in the way and I will argue with them and tell them they are wrong but there is no need for me to randomly just like when, not, when, not, when it's not 
the issue, pretend like it, it is it, it like it ruins everything else that they're doing. Like again, I would not be able to do what I do without these reporters. I don't know. It just it, it rubs me the wrong way. It just it just it feels there's something about it to me. And maybe this is my PMC, but like I think it's that it's hard. No, it's like hard I think there is a no. I I know it is hard work, and I think people tend to underestimate <laughs> how hard journalism is, especially investigative journalism. Um, so I see like w like. It's weird because, like, you're not even, like, going soft on him. That's just the matter of fact that journalism is hard and, it, like, that kind of work should be appreciated, especially when that helps our arguments, right? So, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I fully support. I just want to be really clear. I fully support you unfollowing David Sirota, blocking David Sirota, unsubscribing from The Lever, never reading a Lever article again. I wish you all of the best of luck on that journey. I respect that choice so deeply. I really do. I don't know what that has to do with anybody else, though. Just go do it. Just also, go do that. I literally didn't know who, <laughs> who he was until today. So. <laughs> well, like, I had heard of him, of course, but I didn't know, like, what he was. So, well, look, yeah, I think you should so subscribe to the, the you should, you should, I have never. You should subscribe to the lever and get some good uh, report independent journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Okay, and the last thing. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I do because it feels it feels wrong for me to be using all of his labor and for me to not be paying it for it anyway. Like that is fair. Like, I, like at least I think that is fair. It, like, even if you. Actually, like, even if you completely disagreed with everything he did, he said, but still used his content, I think that is fair still. And of course, like you still agree in some things and disagree in others. That reminds but, me yeah, need to give whatever. another payment yeah. to um, Case Study's pay pay <laughs> uh, Patreon too. Everybody support Case Study also because without those clips, the left would also fall apart. The left media sphere would also have nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, oh, I've wanted to mention this for a long time. I saw you in, you did the podcast of that law group of Harvard, The Flaw, I think, and I enjoyed it very much. Wait, and, what did I do? Uh, I went on somebody's I, podcast from the Harvard the, Law? Yeah, The Flaw, I think oh, it I don't was the name. I what I'd be doing. How long ago was this? <laughs> Months ago. Who, who interviewed me? Was it like a man or what, uh, like who, who do they look like? It, it was a woman. I don't even remember this, to be honest. It's okay, okay sorry. Worry. Uh, and I have shared some of uh, your interviews with oh, Bill Prashad. I recorded this like in like February. You can tell because my books aren't like that anymore uh, in my house. This is when I first moved in. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was a great uh, interview. Thank you. And I have sent some of the in your your interview with B. Prashad, the one with mm -hmm. uh, Ben Norton and the Colombian guy <laughs> whose name I forgot. Oh, and I think the mm -hmm. one, yes. And I think the one of the panel of housing stuff, some of my radical friends who were like, looking me weird. I mean, I'm just a radical of them, but they look me weird when I mention your name. I'm like, Look, she has done pretty good interviews with pretty radical people that we like. So look at like 
give her a chance and they were like okay they were good interviews for them still you know but yeah uh and finally i just wanted to ask you what's the deal with free speech Oof. i literally don't understand i'm a i'm a non-united statesian mm -hmm. so i pretty much understand that free speech is just a bullshit lie that the u.s state has sold you to all of y'all so i don't understand why a leftist would be pro free speech when historically it has only been used as a way to justify reactionary behavior and even the state has still cracked down on leftist organizations even though that's against free speech Wait, I'm 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 gonna so you're are are you asking I, I'm confused. What's what's the question? Why are we for well, free speech? Yes, why are you for free speech? Because I like okay, so for context, I uh I watched your interview with it was like with it wasn't an interview, you were like meddling a debate between uh Esperanza and this other Kim, lady Kim which was like being accused of being tra transphobic mm -hmm. for defending the free speech the right to be transphobic on twitter or something mm, and sure. you mentioned that you were a libertarian or that you were like for free speech mm. and i thought it was weird so i just wanted like clarification or yeah Well, I thought that you, uh, well, the reason I'm confused is because it sounded like you were, you, you weren't confused at all because you articulated why it is that people want free speech, which is that even if there's speech that we don't like, most often efforts to oppress speech have been used to oppress the left. And that's bad. No, but that's the thing. Like, I, I don't get to choose there is no speech is like, free and not. So unless I'm prepared to be censored myself. No, but but that's the thing, like, what's the point of pretending to want free speech? Like, for example, I don't, I don't want free speech, like, ideal, like, I don't want free speech because I, I want reactionary censored. Whether that will happen or not, like, it's another discussion. But for example, in the U.S., they claim to be, they claim to have free speech, right? But historically, that free speech has always only uh, worked for the right. I, so I what I is the benefit that for? So I don't think that that's true. I think that. How so? We all have free speech right now. I, I, like, I, I, don't, I, I think. And why were, for example, why were that socialist, that black socialist uh, organization, uh, like, investigated? You have to, like, you have to fight the, the free speech. There are encroachments on speech, and you have to litigate and use the court systems the best you can to protect your rights or interests. But you start from a position of having the right to free speech. You don't have that in other countries. So 
you can have your YouTube channel p- taken down. You can have laws passed okay, that make certain kinds of... Okay, but what you don't have that in other countries? Because you don't have it in the U.S. So what does either. it mean, for instance, that in, in England, you can hold up a piece of paper at the Queen's funeral that's blank, and the cops will follow you home, and they can make laws, pass laws that say you can't say certain kinds of things. For example, their tabloid laws are very different in the U.K. Um, you can't, like, there's, like, a lot of... Um, uh, uh, like publishing certain kind of stories. Um, well, let me not get into that because I actually don't know exactly how it works. But look, if you're saying that constructively, there's no difference because if a society is free, they just won't constrain your speech. And if a society isn't free, they'll get find ways around the First Amendment. I think it's a perfectly fine philosophical argument. And you've made your point. I, I, I'm a little like that. That's fine. But you know, you're not going to talk me out of free speech right now. So. Um, I, I respect that there is there is no, there like, is some wait a minute understand. there is some exaggeration about America when it walks around acting like it is more constru- like it is in, in a meaningful way um, different to live your life than it is in other like Western countries, which I think is a little silly. I think that we think that our constitutional principles are so core to our way of life, when that is obviously not true. There are many countries in Europe who don't have constitutions at all who. With life there is the same as here and free in many ways because they have healthcare and education and all those other kinds of things. And freedom is a le- re- relative concept, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in America, where our government is, like, frankly, fascistic and they're always trying to constrain your rights, I'm very happy to have a First Amendment because I don't – I think that we would be way worse off than a lot of these European countries um, without some basic guardrails around things like speech. But, but, but for example, I think back of when Trump won and uh, this female comedian, I forgot her name, yeah. posted a yeah, yeah, picture. Yeah, she lost of, her job, but she didn't go to jail. That's the difference. No, Kathy Griffin. Uh, she, I, I, no, I'm with no, you. Yeah, yeah, Kathy Griffin. She, no, she didn't lost her yeah, job. She, she lost her uh, job. But rather, she was banned from going to other countries. I, I don't. Because of the U.S. government. I don't know what that is. I'm not entirely sure yeah. what that is. Like literally because she well, posted the, that. The issue there was that she was accused of making a like a threat to kill the president, which I argue is stupid. I, I cannot – again, I'm sorry. I'm not defending anything or making an argument. I just no, can't but, confirm or deny like, that she That's the was... thing that I'm referring to. They can still – like – if, like, why doesn't that okay. fall under I, I really, I really respect I, – I, I don't know. You got me. I'm sorry. I don't know. It was wrong. America's a hypocrite. We don't really have free speech. You're correct. Uh, but Sebs, I got to move on. There's a long line. And I got you guys got to say, I, I can't okay, spend sorry. 30 minutes yeah. arguing things that are not on topic with all of you guys. Like, I need you guys to be a little bit more self-aware about why we're all here in this room. The fact that there's an audience. Like, I need you to be just a little bit more respectful of the audience so that I don't have to cane people. Right, I didn't see the time. No, no, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to come down hard on you, Sebs. You're not the only one. But, like, I would really rather not have to do three-hour call-ins. No one's forcing me to, by the way. I want to be here and I want to talk to you. But I extend the time so I can get through the line. Not so that I can spend another half hour just with one person. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it's not, it's not your yeah, fault, fault, Sebs. I, I set the trend, and I set the expectation. It's really not your fault, and I'm really sorry to, for it to come on your watch. But I'm, I'm trying to evaluate why I'm having so much frustration with the line of questioning that's completely fair. And it's because it's late in the night. We've already been going for quite some time. It's been a long week, and there's still 23 people in this queue who I think want to talk about the topic at hand. 
So, Sebs, I'm like really happy to revisit this, and maybe we should have an episode on a speech-related topic. And then, then you should, I really do want you to come back and have this conversation because I do think there's some interesting comparative law points about how Americans have uh, are a little deluded about what the Constitution is and isn't doing for us. And I think you're raising a good point. I just don't think we have the space to fully flesh that out right now. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry. I I didn't think it would. Yeah. Be no. That it's long, it's it's, yeah, it's, it's no worries. I know you cannot quite predict these things sometimes, but I appreciate you calling in, Sebs. Okay. Keep the keep faith. Keep the faith, my friend. All right, Owen. Let's let's try to get through. We're almost at. Um, why can't I see what the time is? This thing is a little glitched. Also, my battery's dying. There's a lot of things happening here. I'm just trying to get through as many people as possible. So, unmute yourself, Owen, and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, breaking in. Yes, ma'am. Uh, first of all, thank you for dedicating this time to us, your audience, the people that it you really care is about. My pleasure, we even really appreciate I'm it. A little bit of a tantrum right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not you. Hey, these motherfuckers coming up in here and asking you a bunch of bullshit questions <laughs> over and over again that they already know the goddamn answer. No, it's fine. It's to. nobody's fault. Nobody's questions are bad. They're actually, part of my frustration is like, it'll be interesting questions. We just don't have the space for that right now. You know, but go ahead and... Uh, These should say interesting questions. They asking you, they asking the same things they ask everybody else. I be on calling all the time. They talk about the same what? shit. It's people who sitting on their ass and don't have a job Stop. asking the same oh, questions and, like, over the, and over the, again. The problem is that too many of us don't have jobs or jobs that they want to they want to do or or are remunerative. We can't be making fun of each other for being based. Up. I just, by the way, miss. I'm not saying they don't have a job. I'm saying they are rich people who oh, have money to sit on their ass to not have yeah. a job. Well, That's what I'm it. saying. I, I take a <laughs> two hour commute to work every day. I ain't making fun of the poor people. I am the poor. All right. I'm sitting up here in Florida in the oh. dark. I'm, I'm, I am the poor. What part of Florida are you in? Tell us about it. Um, unfortunately, St. Petersburg. Where, where is that on the on the on the island? I'm sorry, I didn't grow up in this country. What part of Florida is that in? Um. Okay. So there's Orlando, then there's Miami. Mm-hmm. Then there's the country part of Florida where all the horses and the uh, old people who are dying are. And <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, hey, come on now. That's what Florida's yeah, for. So it's it's hot for a reason because it's close to hell. I'll say that. The, horoscope, the, entire, the entire chat is messy as hell tonight. Okay, go ahead. What, so you're, so you're, you're, you're in Florida and the power is out. Oh yeah, it's it's I'm but fortunately I'm in a uh I am a PMC myself, so I came to ask you a fellow PMC PMC question. <laughs> All right. Let's let's conspire. Let's let's talk amongst ourselves. Yes, yes. Class traders together. Um <laughs> I I wanted to uh just talk about I guess like Jonathan's earlier mm-hmm. point about uh money specifically in reference to the subject of today's episode, uh asking if the bourgeoisie left are at the actual problem. And I personally believe that the failure of the modern American left is seemingly having no desire to strategically challenge the capital that connected to democratic politicians and i honestly say that because when it comes to specifically the podcast sphere or the less sphere in general that exists currently as of today it seems like more people in this sphere are invested in getting uh, money from their listeners and telling them to vote rather than giving them not exactly 
an opposing, I guess, like option rather than voting, but also, but giving them like an accompanying option. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I just want to ask you about that and specifically if you think that maybe is the issue when it comes to like how you uh, re- been referencing earlier, like, I guess this month about how uh, the Democrats being against dark money and just how, uh, I guess, people act when Democrats are, I guess, like in support of certain things that are opposed, like uh, labor, but they act like they're not. So I just wanted your opinions on those things. There was a caller up top, I forget who it was, who was talking about um, how they feel like sometimes the left can be more patient with right-wingers than they are liberals. And again, maybe this is just the PMC and me thinking that we do have to be compassionate with liberals who, of course, come in all different class variants. But, you know, as much as liberals piss me off more than anybody else, like, I've always been troubled by, look, I've always been troubled by analyses that exclusively um, look to class status as a way to explain people's behavior because it seems reductive in the same way that I wouldn't say this person's black, so they must believe this, or this person's white, so they must believe this. It's a contributing factor. You know, I'm not going to sit here and ignore the fact that you know, 90 plus percent of black people vote Democrat. I'm not going to sit here and ignore these trends and the cultural context that created them. But I also don't think it's enough because I was a black person who supported Bernie and it's not enough. It's not, you're not going to convince me of anything by saying, well, you're black, so you should support a Democrat. And so even if it's true that there are these factors, class, race, geographic distribution that are affecting people's opinions. I think my experience is that arguing that someone doesn't fit the stereotype of their identity isn't very persuasive. And if the goal is that we are trying to persuade people, not maybe, you know, we're not trying to persuade Hillary Clinton and maybe people aren't trying to persuade David Zerota, but if we are trying to persuade the, you know, millions of Democrats and other people in this country to get on board with the progressive agenda, then I think we have to be a little more patient than sometimes we are and make arguments that have to do that, that respect the idea of them having a belief system and not just say, you know, it's because of their PMC or bourgeois, blah, blah, blah. And I had this conversation with Christine, um, Christina Liu and she, you know, I, you know, we're talking about the PMC and, there's no defensiveness about being PMC. Like, okay, like obviously. But the question is, if we're talking about the 99% versus the 1%, if we, you know, the stat that Jeff Stein's tweet went viral today about how um, the bottom 50% of the country is living off of 2% of the wealth, and now the top 10% has seen massive gains in the last, you know, 10 years or so. You know, are we are we going to ignore the top, 90%? Are we going to ignore like 50 through 90 because they're PMC? Like maybe, maybe that's the answer, but I just want to hear people really say that. I want them to really just own up to that being the strategy and think think it through. And I'm, I'm open to it, but the implication of how some folks, and I'm not talking about the RB and folks in particular, but there's a certain, there's an implication to having a reductive um, assessment of what Everybody has done. So this is why I brought this up to them. It's like, okay, I'm on board with arguments about PMC and bourgeoisie, but 
if we're talking about force the vote and you say that PMC were against it, I mean, sure, but isn't Crystal PMC? Isn't Kyle PMC? Isn't Cornell West PMC? Isn't Chris Hedges PMC? Aren't I PMC? So I, I'm not, I'm, that's not a defense of the PMC, but like obviously that's not sufficient to explain what happened. It might be a part of it, but it's not sufficient, right? And is Jimmy Dore not PMC because he has like a rougher verbal style, even though he is affluent and went to college and has all the markers of PMC? You know, what are we really doing here? And are we participating in, are we sowing the seeds of our own destruction by further balkanizing us when I thought the whole point was we were supposed to be the 99 versus the 1%? So I think it's, I think it's clear to be able to understand that people have class conflicts and to anticipate them and to be warned against them. But I don't think it's necessarily the explanatory tool that it is sometimes put forward as being. That's all. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I guess like uh, b before I go and also thank you for answering my question, I, I think also everybody would. Uh, I know you mentioned all the time. How do we uh, combat or fight capital? And ask that question to a bunch of your panelists. So I think all of us in not only the call in, but also all of your listeners would be very interested in you doing an episode just about like mutual aid and maybe featuring a panel of panelists who represent like different types of mutual aid. Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. Let me put it in the Slack. You made the Slack, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunate. Hopefully I won't get uh, deleted from this call in episode like I was the last time I was on. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about the glitchiness. I should start. Like if I were really organized, yeah, I'd be keeping a list of who calls in and I'd have an algorithm that could tell me who to call on next. But um, I don't have that. And I just try to remember your faces. And I'm looking forward to calling on Lysol because I remember them being in the queue last time. So thank you, Owen. Keep the faith. Of course. Have a nice rest of your Thank evening. Thank you. And let's hear from Lysol, who has been a patient waiter in the queue now for two episodes running. How you doing? Hey, Bri, how doing you doing? Well. Thank you. What's on your mind? So, um, so first of all, love the episode. I'm glad. Um, when people talk about third parties, I, I feel like they're missing the point. Um, if you look at American history, pretty much every major movement that's pushed the country forward, whether it's abolition or suffrage, has been because of third parties. They get to a point where they had a critical mass where they're too big to ignore, and one of the parties sees that as an opportunity and decides to uh, capitalize on it. I mean, that was basically the whole point of FDR, is he took, took the populist ideas that had been lying around and uh, capitalized mm -hmm. on them. And so I keep thinking if, I mean, ideally I had AOC pegged for this role pre her actually being in Congress, mm -hmm. but I feel like we need somebody willing to just kind of like somebody can get 10 million people behind him under the banner of kind of like i'm not going to flinch i'm not going to blink you can say everything you want about me like you know every single thing they'll say about somebody if bernie actually did try to do the dirty break and just somebody's like you know what i represent people and this is our block and we refuse and you if you keep it uh economically based and just vague enough you could probably steal some of the populism on the right mm. too make the Democrats and Republicans compete over those 10 million votes. I mean, 10 million votes in a presidential election, especially considering how tight mm -hmm. the last, last couple ones would be, I feel like it has some real potential. I was picturing either John Stewart or Chris Smalls. Who would you, who'd you have in that role? 
Let me ask you why those are the two options. Do you remember in 2008 when John Stewart and Stephen Colbert like were kind of thinking about running for president? Mm -hmm. They had like a big rally and they ended up mm -hmm. not doing it and they got behind stuff. But there was a point where John Stewart was really kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I'm in San Francisco, so I'm obviously completely biased towards the liberal sides of things. But I feel like the Daily Show had that kind of credibility where they, you know, kind of skewered both sides evenly. Is it, and John Stewart, is, it, is it 2008 when this hypothetical happens or is it 2024? Well, so he was on, he was in the news recently because of the burn pit stuff. Mm -hmm. And I watched his speech and it's just like he's he's very effective. Mm -hmm. I feel like and he has the rec you know, the recognition factor. I mean, I personally would pick Chris Smalls, but I feel like there's kind of a total media blackout. I haven't seen him, seen him do anything besides kind of, you know, smaller, more esoteric podcasts and stuff. Um, so I think that there is a time when I would have wanted uh, Jon Stewart to run for president and not as a gimmick, but like to, to really win. And I think there was a time when he really understood the country more than almost anybody else. And he would have been great. And he's obviously very, very smart and quick, sharp, great talker, presents well, and is very charming. He'd be great in a debate, right? Yes. However, some there have been some moments recently, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was a clip from his show demonstrated like some area where he really like clearly wasn't getting it like getting the left perspective he had something libish happen and i don't want to speak out of turn again because i can't be specific i don't remember i think it might have had something to do with like kind of russia gatey stuff or misinformation stuff and it made me realize that this this i don't think this was the kind of out of touch statement that he would have made back in 2008 for many reasons including that the, the left wasn't as bifurcated as it is today but it made me think he's not quite the man for this moment with respect to chris malls that's interesting i if if chris malls could really command that 10 percent and get you know the labor support and everything i would obviously be very excited about it i'm a little i i, I don't know what I, why i'm skeptical that i guess a, a part of me thinks that folks would want to do it for someone that they would you know, hashtag take seriously. And this is not at all an indictment of Chris Smalls, but knowing how America is, I I have a little bit of skepticism that he wouldn't just immediately get laughed off by the mainstream press as a joke and not get traction in a presidential context. Like everyone is very deferential to him in a labor context because it's like, oh, labor. And he's like a real guy and he's a worker and he's working class. And like the, the, the bourgeois press knows that they can't really come after him without looking really bad and racist and backward. But when you start talking about presidential runs, it's all about credentialism and elitism and these like totems of achievement. And that's why they love Pete Buttigieg. And I'm a little afraid <laughs> of what they would do to him and how they might be dismissive of him once he leaves a labor context and enters a political one. Now, that might be me might be me having low expectations of America in the same way that a lot of people were like Barack Obama could never get elected in America. And I'm completely open to the fact that I could be very wrong about that. But that's what gives me pause about Smalls. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just uh, tw we had, you know, we had 12 straight years of a guy who couldn't be president as president. Sure. Sure. 
Although, like, the Trump thing, it's less beca- it's because of, like, his personality, not because I thought that, like, Americans are not, don't respect the idea of Trump. America has always loved Trump. I mean, he's he's been popular for, and had a best-selling show and best-selling books and has in all the rap songs for a reason. A lot, you know, <laughs> people respect rich people. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's complicated, and I, I, I don't, you know. I don't want to project my own insecurities about how, you know, particularly black people are perceived in the public sphere onto him. And I think that would be unfair, but it just gives me a little bit of pause. And it's just curious to me why you picked those two. Cause you could have picked, you could have picked anybody, you know, Ralph Nader, Bernie Sanders, Shama Sawan. I mean, I guess maybe she can't run, but, um, Rashida Tlaib, whomever. Um, well, I mean, so I, also I agree with one of the, one of the guys from RBN said, it was like, what, you know, how long would it take to get for somebody to like earn their cred back? And he's like two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, just like, just come correct. I, I really do believe, I mean, I, I back the, the Taibi concept of like somebody just came out and said, fuck both parties and was anti-corruption that they would, you know, easily steer past both major parties. Okay. I feel like both parties are kind of like boxers that are like leaning on each other in the 12th round mm-hmm. they don't have anything good left in their punches and like if one of them falls over the other one's falling mm-hmm. over i feel like it's a you know a historical point of weakness and i feel like donald trump is kind of like emblematic of that between that and bernie sanders is you know there was a you know a fuck these guys mentality that i think is just increasing mm-hmm. and somebody can give voice to it and especially because it's interesting because chris smalls is uh, his labor success was kind of based on figuring out ways to turn people underestimating him against him. And I kind of, I don't know, maybe he's just too fresh that I don't have any reason to doubt him, but I really see like, I mean, from, from all the, I think status quo followed him around democracy now followed him around when he did the, uh, the protest on Labor Day, when he went to like mm-hmm. Bezos's house, some other like billionaire's house, maybe Jamie diamonds, I mm-hmm. think. Like, I don't know. I feel like he's got, he's got that savvy. Yeah. And like, you know, I should, for, I should watch that. The... Obviously I interviewed on the show, but we, we, you know, we talked about Amazon. I haven't really heard him speak on a broader range of issues. Cause I mean, part of the issue, the part of the point, right. Would be that they would use that platform of running to present what the left's position is, what this third party position is like, what the, how the world could be better. Right. So keep it simple. Just have a labor party. There's the, that's the movement right yeah, now. Yeah, but you know, when you're running for president, you get asked a lot of really specific questions about how this is going to work and that's going to work and the policies and blah 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 blah, right? Which is why they wouldn't be running for president; they would be negotiating with the parties. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought I mis and- I misunderstood. I thought you were saying that they would command like ten thousand, uh, ten million votes. Yeah, I, I I feel, you know, this is obviously a dream scenario, but they get 10 million people, even if it's just 10 million likes on an Instagram post. At this point, I feel like that has a similar amount of legitimacy oh, to actual. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. And he's like, yeah, just like, no, I'm, you know, he's not running for president. He's using he's using that power and his savvy outside of it to kind of just like, you know, be the person who won't be the person who's not going to blink. I feel yeah, like there's enough people I, that would I rally. That's a really good idea. I'm not trying to be funny. Everyone wants to pretend that I just was born yesterday. It hasn't been – not you. Not you, honey. I don't mean to be patronizing. But, like, everybody – you know, I've, I've literally said this and took a lot of heat for saying it because I'm a very public person. I just left the Bernie campaign. And so I remember because I still have the battle scars from it. But I have been talking about creating a union-like group that had the power to withhold its vote as a block since the summer of 2020 when it was a very risky proposition to say anything that could be – 
construed as helping Trump. Um, and so I, I obviously think that's a, an excellent idea. I don't, and, and so I'm sorry, I'm understanding this a lot better now. I don't know how I missed that this wasn't just a, like a third party holding those votes, but it was just a, a group specifically, like a, like a figurehead specifically delivering votes in one way or another, like a union leader. Um, yeah, running the outside. Yeah, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Uh, yeah, then I think that either could do it. And um, that's, yeah, that's difficult. Um, that's interesting. You can say yourself if you want. No, definitely not me. I, I do think it needs to be someone who, I don't know. Like, it, it, part of me is actually more interested in the question of how they prove that they have those votes. Because once they prove that they have those votes, and there has to be some mechanism to, like, make sure that everyone who's in that voting block also feels heard and represented, because you don't want there to be, like, a defection between leadership and rank and file the way that happens in these unions where the leadership is all captured and corrupt, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, as long as that person yeah. is literally speaking for the group because they have some process for the group to vote on what it's willing to compromise on or what it's the platform is and all of that then it almost doesn't matter who the figurehead is yeah i mean i'm, I'm imagining you know like a hyper savvy tiktok level campaign just kind of going i mean because it's the youth that's up for that's up for um you know for capture at this point biden doesn't have anything on the mind the student student loan stuff if it does go through might have a might have a small effect on that but overall it's you know it's the disaffected youth if you break down all of the polls between biden and bernie or biden or uh Hillary and Bernie was always the, the age was always the most decisive one in terms of like how it broke down. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe it's like a little bit of a false question because it should be a group of people. Maybe it should be, you know, both of those gentlemen and plus like Shama and. And the guys from the debt collective and, you yes. know, like, you know, the people who delivered the votes in 2020 to Biden, the people in the grassroots just kind yeah. of like. It, it, I, the only reason I, I, you know, would have one person at the front is just for kind of branding purposes, and you know, people need that kind of lightning rod. And it's just, yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like both Warren and Bernie completely underestimated how much of their appeal was the idea that they weren't going to blink, yeah. and that as soon as Elizabeth a waiver at all, she was done. And that you know, both in 2016 and 2020, Bernie found that no matter how much he was willing to grovel and bend the knee, um, substantial portions of his his base wasn't going to follow, but I looked it up on open secrets. He had 250,000 individual donors in 2016 and 2 million in 2020, 2 million different wow. people gave to his campaign. So that's a start. Yeah. Maybe like a, that maybe could like swing. A, I mean, I know that Fetterman is problematic, but someone who has got like Fetterman vibes. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, I, I feel like that guy's going to be too easy to kill if he gets anywhere close. You yeah, know? not like, I mean, the health problems and all that aside. Um, I, it, what's, it, this is also something that's really telling about this is how few kind of high profile, specifically labor leaders we have in this country. But I, I like the I like the instinct. I like the Chris Smalls instinct. And I, and I, get, I get what you mean. I get why Chris Smalls and... Um, John Stewart both feel like good examples. Thank you for that, for that thought experiment, yeah, of course. I'm sorry, is that your, is that how you pronounce your name? Lysol, okay, yeah. Beans. All right, thanks for calling. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Have a good one. Hey, Omar. What's happening? 
Hey, Bray, it's been a while. It has. How have you been? What's on your mind? <laughs> Holy shit, this queue oh, is so long. Many things. Yeah, so many things. Uh, I've been kind here. of uh, okay, up. getting a, a collection going of things I wanted to talk to you about, but I'll just uh, keep it to one thing. Sure. <laughs> um, I think that the... Um, <laughs> Every time I try to think of analogies, I somehow uh, gravitate towards dating analogies. Love it. I'm in. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but uh, I loved your um, your show with with RBN, and um, I want I want to see that more. One of the things that they said that I. I mean, that kind of bugged me, not because uh, they said it, but because a lot of people reference the Democrats having a mandate. And and that bugs me so much because, and here comes the dating analogy. It's like you have somebody who's trying to to date in control of a dating app, and they are consistently taking out people from behind the scenes, from the database of people that you might really, really like, and just always putting themselves at the top of, of the search results. Mm. And I feel like then they, they go and say like, oh, uh, you really like me because you picked me. And that's not a mandate to me. That is not a mandate. We shouldn't be referring to that as a mandate because, and everybody knows this, but it just, this thing needs to be cohesive every time this comes up. Like people just need to push back on this and say, look, you do not have a mandate. Like what is, what, what kind of mental gymnastics are you doing in your head? Wait, I'm sorry. I'm confused. So I, I don't remember <laughs> the RBN guys saying that the, the Democrat or girls also, sorry, Sabs, saying that the, the, that they had a mandate. That, that doesn't sound, sound like something no, that no, they no, would no. say. No, I mean, I, I framed it not too great, but um, I think it was Nick who just was talking about a, um, hypothetical scenario where the uh, Democrats would say, we have a mandate. And so they would feel emboldened. So it wasn't that they, they were saying that they have a mandate. It, it was in, framed in a, in terms of like a hypothetical situation. Oh yeah, they, the Democrats, they, he was saying that yeah. Democrats use the fact that they won as a mandate yeah. to ignore yes. the left and do what they want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have a better memory than I do. But uh, to me, yeah, that that um, dating analogy is just so apropos to that, um, because you have Democrats kind of rubbing it in the face of voters, of other other people, uh, other candidates saying that they have doing a victory dance, saying that they have a mandate when they when they don't, when they've been doing all these dirty tricks behind the scenes not letting you see all the other people that you match with and and just being so uh slimy about it and like i think that needs to be front and center when we talk about these things all all the time um i mean do you get what i'm yeah, saying yeah i mean i think that that's part of why 
sorry, movements like Force of Lutus are important. The whole idea is to disrupt the idea that there is real consensus for the Democratic Party and to expose the extent to which, you know, whatever 40% or 60% or whatever the number was of Biden voters uh, in South Carolina said so they only did so because Clyburn said so, or that 40% of Biden voters said that they voted against Trump as opposed to for Biden or whatever the number is. I'm making up numbers, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Large chunks, maybe, maybe yeah. majorities. You know, and you don't you don't expose that because of the way the media works. There's no way to like prove that to be true, unless you force votes and provide third party alternatives for people. So I I completely agree. They they do get away. The reason that Biden can walk around saying you ain't black is because he knows that everybody has nowhere <laughs> else to go, and they've been using Democrats use the black vote. Like I, I can't even tell you how many times I was the only black attorney at my law firm. And I spent all of 2016 with these white people coming up to me. I'm like, at least a lot of them are my friends. Like, it's like not personal, but they were all white. <laughs> and they were all coming up to me explaining that I couldn't person, I couldn't possibly like Bernie Sanders because black people didn't like Bernie Sanders. And I was like, ma'am, this is an Arby's. And I'm the only black person here. <laughs> <laughs> so... So yeah, like people, people, I mean, like they, they really were deluded into thinking that that was like, I'm sorry, deluded is, you know, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to attack these people like five years out of the fact, um, bless their hearts. They still have to work in big law, but I, you know, they, the, it's the media that gave them an impression that that was like a real argument and that's like how the world works and that all these black people who were voting for Hillary Clinton were doing it because they must really love and adore her because, you know, that's how the media translated what had happened. So, so, yeah, I, I think that you're completely spot yeah. on. We've got to disrupt the idea that the Democratic Party has real support. And and James Zogby, I, I love the man, um, but there must be, I mean, my, my background is in psychology, and there must be some org uh, psych research on this where people in an organization, who have been in an organization for years and years, get sucked into believing that if I just pull this lever, turn this knob a little bit, uh, pull this crank, step on this gear, like whatever, that I'm going to find the, the magic formula to shift this organization around. Like there's just, it just seems so pervasive that these people, these insiders who've been there, uh, even, even after he's just enumerated all these dirty tricks uh, is still like on board to to like keep on working within that system. It, it, it is just so infuriating. I just I want to shake these people um, to to tell them like this is rotten through and through, and there's they're just going to keep on doing this to you and to anybody who wants to change anything and do anything substantive and and have like a, an impact it like i i don't know how you have the patience to to not just yell well i've yelled quite <laughs> a bit angrily. this evening i'm not gonna lie <laughs> your girl is uh imperfect and yeah. a little drowsy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. But um, it was uh, great talking to you. It was again. great talking to you too. Thanks for for coming back to the to the chat, Omar. <laughs> Keep the All faith. Right. All right, Rika.
long time no chat. I feel like it's been like months. Ages, Brie. Ages. Where have you no. been all my life? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm out here organizing, doing the God work. bless you. Just stay Aww. away from this dreadful place. <laughs> I kid, I kid. I ain't got time. I ain't got time to mess around with these hoes. Um, no, it's it's so funny. I was like, do I have a moment to kvetch? Um, yeah. And I just opened up a little hard seltzer. Yes. But, okay, just real quick, real quick, if I may, mm-hmm. Brie, I, I can't handle this PMC shit. I can't. Not the PMC, like, the I just the discourse. It's driving say, me say nuts. More. It's driving me nuts. Say more. I don't, I, I get what people are talking about. I get it. Like, you know, there are people who come from different levels of wealth in our society and access to means, et cetera, and who are in different working conditions um, with their work. So some people have more cush jobs than others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I, the way people are using PMC now, it's like almost like, like I hear you, and you jokingly do it, but you're like, "I'm PMC, forgive me." And it's like, it's like what I would hear white people say in like groups when we're trying to organize. I'm white. I, I mean, I'm white, so like, forgive me. And I'm just like, I'm like, shut up. Like we know this. Like whatever. Like, and also, and also to some degree, I'm just like, do you care about the issue? Does the issue affect you? Cool. Let's go. Mm-hmm. You know. And I appreciate the nuance. I appreciate the nuance and the theory and la 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 whatever. But like when you're when you're organizing and you're doing the work, what matters is are you showing up? Mm-hmm. That's what matters, you know, not whether or not you actually. And to be honest, like all the people who think they're PMC, I'm like, oh, do you own a house? <laughs> no, you don't own a house. Okay, okay. You you some of these people that yeah they got like college education but got that student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, are you the one in charge? Do you make all decisions? Do you hire and fire? Nope. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So. So tell me, what does that PMC status actually do for you then? You know, and I'm just like, I wish we would have more of like a solidaristic lens when we're talking about this. Like, take your PMC PMC shit and critiques and like leave it for like, I don't know, like inside talk or something. I mean, I don't as know. a PMC, like, I can't really opine on this. <laughs> no, no um, I think, so look, I think it has, I think it has value. I just think it has less value than sometimes the way it's applied. Like that, that yes, that's all I'm yes, saying. Like, because yes. I, yes. I think that you were rightly pointing Agreed. to a lot of the diversity within that group. I mean, the, there's an actual definition of what it means to be PMC and you know, Pascal could speak to it. And obviously, obviously professor Luke can speak to it, but it, it, it is a broad category that has more to do with like educational attainment and social status than it does actual income, which is one of the reasons why I find it to be problematic because there's, you know, yes. there are these college educated working class people who are out here with low paying jobs in childcare or teaching or, you know, EMTs but and medical practitioners just, and all kind of things. Yes. Yes. Brie, yes. And you said it working class, working class. That's what we're supposed to be organizing around. Yeah. Yes. yes and and yes, too often yes. it does become, uh, well, I, I disagree with this person and they have, you know, relatively more money. And so I'm not going to like engage substantively with what they have to say, which, you know, like, again, I'm not here to tell anybody that they don't deserve to have their frustrations. And I do think that there's something true about the, the urgency gap 
for people who are, you know, like the Gavin Newsom's of the world who think that we can have Medicare for all like in 50 years and that right. would be great. And people who are dying from healthcare now. I think there's something that's very real about that. I don't know that PMC is the perfect term to capture that because there's a lot of people who no. have college degrees who can't afford their medical bills and who, you know, are, are should be allies in this. Exactly. It just seems like a lazy shorthand sometimes for people who are irritated because somebody likes to buy shit from William Sonoma or whatever. You know, like, I don't know. I just feel yeah, like... Yeah, look, I'm looking at a Dutch oven on my counter lazy. right now that I bought That's what on I'm sale. <laughs> I made my first fall fall chicken last weekend. Oh my god, I'm dead. Like, to be clear, it was yes. cheaper there than any other website I found. It was a real steal. I think because no one wanted this burgundy color. But my God, I got it. And I love it. I stand with Kamala Harris on a purchase of some good cast iron cookware. And I will not apologize for that purchase. I'm, dying. I'm sorry. I'm, dying. I'm obviously yes. being glib, and I and I don't I don't want to be glib because I the point is I I think that these analyses are useful, but they should be useful in terms of um growing solidarity and growing the group, like making the group more powerful, yes. not factioning it further. So if you want to use it to correct yes. someone, like be like, hey, like it, like I, I wonder if you can understand where I'm coming from and why I'm prioritizing this because this is a very urgent issue for me and it might not be for you. Like that's, a, I think, a very productive conversation to have. But like, I don't, and again, I don't want anything that I'm saying to be construed as me saying RBN people said this. I don't think that that's how they were using it. But like, I do think there could be a way that the conversation slips into fuck all these people because they're PMC. And I'm like, okay, well, that's like well, it's, 40% it's, it's, of the, yes. the 99%. <laughs> No, but it's the kind of the, it can it falls into the slippage of the same way people use the terms identity and identity what they're critiquing mm -hmm. about identity politics. It becomes like this like you got this token, I got this token, right? And we're just like trying to match up and do that oppression mm -hmm. Olympics crap. And it's just like that's not and and I know that's not where people are coming from all the time when they are because they have legit critiques mm -hmm. like you said. But I just the way it can slip into that discursively mm -hmm. is just annoying to me. But my my what i wanted to say though was i i am i loved your podcast i've been loving all I, I always love your podcast i should i feel like i don't shouldn't need to say that because you're amazing but you're um the i just feel like i feel like people are waiting for other people to do the mm. thing i think people need to just go do the thing go do the mm. thing go do the thing. Well, I want to give I want to give some go. credit to RBN because they do do the thing and they are exactly. actively engaged in mutual aid and people should follow them and support them and get engaged with them because yes. I really admire the extent to which they more than pretty much any other YouTube show that I listen to put their money where their mouth is. No, absolutely. And that is not about that. I I love their work. I think they're amazing. I I think um I think they're brilliant and I love that they do walk the walk, right? Mm -hmm. I, I just feel more like people who call in, you know, to this are when they ask questions of I'm like, I'm like, just go, just go like organize your union in your workplace. Go if you don't want to organize union in your workplace or your independent contractor for whatever fucking reason, go like form find the issue, find, form a tenants union, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like just like 
go do the thing. If you want, if you really fucking care about getting a third party out here, go organize it. Go fucking do it, y'all. Like it, it's it's our lives. Like we have a little shred of agency and it's hard. It's hard because we are all out here working a lot for little and we have a lot that we're facing in so many other ways and I totally get it. But with the little shred of fucking agency we have folks, like seize it, let's go, let's go. Because, you know, the sea levels are rising, the hurricanes are coming and we're all just, you know, and the, and the forces are burning. Yeah. So let's yeah. go, you know. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. But one other thing I wanted to say about your earlier point about the, the PMC is I had this conversation, uh, not a conversation, when I was uh, applying to be in Socialist Alternative, they have you do a bunch of reading. And one of my mm -hmm. reading assignments was to learn about um, the Paris student revolt in 68. And oh, cool. I didn't really know anything about it before. And the history of it was that it started with students who were mad about, I don't know, tuition hikes or something. And, but they were this, the children of a lot of the factory laborers. And when they went on strike for their interests, all these factories shut down and they, you know, were joined by the masses in the streets. And it was like this incredible revolution. But um, it weirdly did start with the PMC. So, I mean, that's not to say, oh, you, every revolution is going to start with the PMC or God bless the PMC, hail the PMC. Like, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. No. But, like, you just never know. Like, they are a part of the community that we're supposed to be fighting mm -hmm. for. I mean, there's a reason we say 1%, 99%, because the 1% has a zillion, That's trillion, right. gazillion more money than even the top 10%. Like, even even someone who's really high up there, it's like it's an exponential curve. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. we really are crabs in a barrel here. And I just want to be, I mean, it, again, it's useful as a critique and to understand what's going on, but we should just be careful about whether the things that we say are, like, growing our coalition, pushing us in the right direction, or whether or not we're unwittingly participating in like op shit. And it's, it's difficult to yeah, tell and sometimes. Quit, and just quit with the self-effacement all the time. Like, just like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I it's, it's, I, I, it's the annoyance I have with my white friends when they're all like, with my white privilege shit. I'm like, no fucking, like, we've established this, we're good. Like, we can move on, like, and there's, there's ways that you're impacted by other things that I deeply care about, let's move on, you know? And they, it's it's almost like a, um, it's like a ritual act, like, almost like they're Catholic, you know, when you, when you walk in and you dip your hand in, like, the little water and you do the little sign of cross, like, oh my God, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, you know? Like, it's just like, I, I don't know, it's, it's so, I'm over it, and I just would like people just to, it, it feels so performative. Yeah, I get that. That's the thing, I get you know, that. but anyway, appreciate you appreciate the work you're doing and I'm keeping the faith. Girl. Thank you, Rika. I appreciate it. It's good to hear from you. Keep the faith. Likewise. All right, Jonathan, <laughs> the other Jonathan in the Jonathan V. Jonathan. How you doing? Oh my God. It didn't close on me for the first time ever. Hallelujah. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, it's always tough with these things, uh, you know, because uh, you got so many smart people in your call-in that come in and they try to distract me from the thing I called in to talk about. <laughs> and, you know, the the Katie news that dropped and all kinds oh, of yeah, stuff. There's all kinds of distractions. Bring it up. I've been waiting. It's been out for like an hour now. And nobody said anything. 
Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to talk about that, uh, you know, by all means, I, uh, you know, I, basically, I called in to say I agree with everything you said on the on the pod and in the in the call, and especially about Sirota. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk about the Katie thing, we can talk about that because uh, I haven't gotten a chance to look at any of the details yet. But this happened while we were here. Yep. So you guys have probably noticed that you know they've been rotating left chairs on monday i don't work on monday that's when i get all my bad faith stuff done and katie was in person in the studio on monday she did a really wonderful job as far as i'm concerned and the comments were really um supportive and i was i loved it i also really loved it (laughs) um and she was scheduled to do a radar. It was going to be her first radar. And apparently she did record the radar. But the radar did not air. It was not aired. And she was told that the... Uh, let me make sure that I'm not saying more than I'm supposed to say. <laughs> let me just scan this article real quick. Real quick. I'm like... Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. Uh that the I don't want to step on her um, on her story, so I just want to make sure that I'm not telling anything that she didn't want to tell. But um, that the radar was uh, wasn't aired because the Hill has it's policy against. It was Batya, isn't it? I just have you to ask. Tears. It was it what Batya? is your ass still doing up here? <laughs> He's been there the whole time, demanding the earth? answers we all. I'm I'm sorry. I just realized there was a glitch. For whatever reason, the universe wants me to like stay on this I call have, and I like. Have I have you out I've of been here like four times. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm so sorry. No, but I'm, I'll go back. To this is hilarious. Now, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> what did you ask me, a liberal? Um, oh, was so Batia, it was Batia, no, I, I don't. Batia has nothing to do with this. I, I, Batia has nothing to do with this. Batia is not doesn't work for the hill, and she has nothing to do with this. I have to say how crazy it is, just from and Jonathan. Under, under, I know you would understand, like as someone, who, as someone who grew up in Israel, I just think it's so crazy how coverage of that particular issue of being pro-Palestinian. Well, neoliberal. I hadn't even gotten to punchline yet. Everyone in the chat doesn't even know sorry, that, that that's why she got banned. So the 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 the, the punchline is that her her radar was about you know Rashida Tlaib being attacked uh, for saying that you can't be progressive except for Palestine, and you know of course everybody piled on and said she was doing an anti-Semitism. Her, the radar was about that. It was pulled because they said that they have a policy at the Hill against cr- being uh, critical of Israel and op-eds. Katie then offered the compromise of you know doing it with a guest with the opposite view since that seemed to be what they wanted. And she brought up, you know, she normally does a regular Thursday segment uh, as a guest. And so she brought up whether or not this could be the topic of her Thursday segment. And at that point, she was told that her services were no longer needed at the Hill, that she should fill out an invoice for any outstanding, you know, payments for her other work. And uh, not guesswork, guesswork isn't paid, but for hosting on Monday. And uh, that would be the end of their relationship. That's nuts. It's like absolutely nuts. Yes. It's also just so really dumb. It's it's really dumb from a professional perspective for the Hill, your media organization. It's like Next Star. It's like a huge media organization that's basically admitting so, so, that it will censor content so just, having to do with Israel. Yeah, go ahead. 
just be clear. So they can't run op eds that criticize Israel specifically, but we can criticize. And I think Rising does it so beautifully. Like our policies, um, you know, when it comes to Ukraine, we criticize Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no country that Rising has spared. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, we've like we they've gone all around the world. I mean, today there was a great segment with Lizzo and the flute. Um, <laughs> but you know, so anyway, back to the real issue. I mean, that can, I it's really scary yes. to me. I mean, you know, there's when you mentioned that there wasn't free speech in mm. other countries, I think it doesn't always sit mm. for people, but Israel does not have free speech. We do not have Katie helpers that are able to speak to how a Jewish person in America can see things completely differently and might even change mm. your mind. And that's why that perspective can be dangerous to to have on the air. Um, I remember uh, there was, did, did anyone in the chat, um, did you guys see Katie going on Laura Ingram show mm-hmm. uh, a few mm-hmm. years ago to talk about APAC? That was really effective. That was incredible. And I think, are there any- Oh yeah, she can handle herself too. Are there any indications? Do we know who are we going to spam and complain at the hill? Like, was it that high, upper, yes, upper, upper manager? I would gets. imagine that the producers love Katie because yeah, the producers and the people on the show love love Katie. We it's, all it's love very Katie. difficult. It's a difficult situation because yes, the this is not like the producer's fault. This one isn't the producer's fault, and they are constrained. They have had their jobs threatened you know and all of this then they 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 can't weigh in they cannot weigh in or they might be fired as well um they've been they've had to sit through all of this turmoil however you feel about kim and however you feel about anything else like it wasn't none of this has been their fault right they've been a part of the show since you know before sauger like when it was like crystal and buck and they've had to weather all of these storms and face like job insecurity and had to reboot this show so many times because I largely mismanagement like this and like bad ethical and journalism decisions like this. And we saw what happened with Kim. I think that was not handled well either with the Fauci debacle. And it is really unfortunate because, you know, I think there's something there that a lot of people believe in, that the producers believe in and a format that really works and I think is important. But they keep fumbling the ball. And this one, you know, you can you can make some arguments about okay, the Fauci thing was it's part of it was just a procedural bungle and it wasn't like a journalistic integrity issue. Although there's certainly an argument for it having a journalistic integrity issue as well. But this is a straight up and down like censorship issue. And as a news organization, it's like kind of mind boggling that they would. T- you know, attract attention and lose credibility over something like this when they could have just aired the radar. What, how many people were ever going to watch it? Like 30,000 people. <laughs> like, it's not like it's going to be a million hit. Ra- you know, the radars aren't even, the, the algorithm's already killing us. And they, and everyone would have forgotten about it. It would have been a non issue. It would only draw more attention uh, to it. I mean, yeah. I mean, do, do you think there's any chance that someone from Rashida's camp would like, come out against this and potentially <laughs> get them to reverse the decision? Well, I, mean, I know that might be wishful thinking, but like... I don't think any decisions are going to get reversed, yeah. and I certainly don't think anybody cares over there what Rashida Tlaib has to say. Uh, but I... Um, I would like to see her and others standing in solidarity with Katie, but I, like, I don't think it's going to make a difference in terms of the outcome. The outcome. Yeah. 
That's probably true. And like, it's, it's also, I mean, it's just insane because, um, it's not like they, you know, they're claiming that they found something in there that was factually incorrect or, you know, and Katie is not given to, you know, making, you know, any kind of, of ill thought out brazen statements, especially in a context like that. She's very, very buttoned up and knows her facts very well on, particularly on this Mm -hmm. issue. And, you know, I can vouch for that as somebody who has not always had great politics. And, you know, 20 years ago, I was an APAC trained campus advocate. Okay. I know, like they flew me up to Washington, you know, three times a year and, you know, gave me specialized training. It was good quality training, good comms training. But, uh, you know, like, I know what they do. I know their ways and means. Like, there is nothing Katie said that was out of line, if anything. You know, like, everything she said on this issue was probably an understatement. Yep. So, like, it's it's just, and it, it's unconscionable because, like, they've been, like, she's been doing Rising Fridays for years. Like, she has had a long-standing relationship with The Hill She's uh, been a frequent guest, Uh, you know, she and she really like I enjoyed the shit out of that Monday. It was so much better than Batya. And it looked like Robbie was having more fun, too. He was giggling. Yep, She was great. She was great. And we were hoping that, you know, you guys saw there was they only released one segment of it. Um, but we recorded like I'm sorry if my sound sounds different. I had to plug in my phone um, and stop using my microphone. But um. The, we recorded that segment about Bill Maher that was part of like an hour that the four of us recorded to test out some concepts for this like left version of The View. We were hoping that that might be a show that might become Friday content that started to fill the Friday that's that was opened up by Emily and Ryan leaving. Like we were hopeful. Like I, I thought we were on the upswing of Katie's relationship with The Hill. And to the extent that I... You know, I don't have long-term plans there. I don't have a long-term commitment there. I agreed to fill in as kind of just like a test thing. And, you know, you guys, I've been speaking very openly here about my ambivalence with the whole thing. I hope that when I left, maybe Katie would replace me. Like, that was what was going on in my head. And so it's just, this is like, I don't know. I was shocked. We Like, when it happened, I think we were all stunned for like 48 hours. And we just... We were hopeful that there would be some resolution, but it became clear that they were resolute. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to try to record an episode with Katie tomorrow from Monday's um, from Monday's episode to get all the details out on this. But yeah. Oh, I'm definitely getting in the caller queue for that. See if you can get her to do the the call in. Oh yeah. Because, you know, like, obviously, it's not like she doesn't know how to do yeah. it. I was on hers last yeah. night. I wasn't in the caller queue, but I listened to the whole thing. Uh, yeah, so, like, she's on there plenty. And, uh, like, I like I would love for her to engage with this audience, yeah. too, on that subject. Because, like, I think, you know, we could definitely talk about that for hours. For sure. For sure. <clears throat> That's a good idea. And I'm sure she will join. But I'm sorry, I feel like we stepped. But it was we it, stepped all over your comment, yeah, sorry, go um, ahead. Jonathan. I don't know what you called in here to talk about. Yeah, or, originally, I like basically I was just gonna say like almost every every single well, literally every single thing you've said, uh, you know, tonight 
and uh, and on that pod, I agree with. And I say this is somebody like I have followed, particularly Nick, for a long time since before he even started. Uh, you know, Fred Hampton left. Like we agree on almost everything. So Nick, if you're listening to this, please don't block me on Twitter. Uh, but like I, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. And um, you know, like there's don't get me wrong, like there's plenty of things that you know. I I do disagree with him on or things he says that make me kind of grit my teeth, but there's never any doubt in my mind as to the man's integrity and the fact that he's coming from the right place. There's just certain things he hasn't accepted that we have accepted. Now, like you also know this guy really well in the sense that like he reads all of his comments and he is always, always, always surprised, no matter how many times it happens, that people don't behave on Twitter the way they do in real life. Yeah. And like he takes it real personal when people come on there and are assholes yeah. to him. Okay. And like these, like especially CJ, okay, like came at him with these very like vague, poorly thought out um you know cr- you know broad critiques you know saying he was like shepherding people like without a lot of specific examples i might add uh you know or even when they had them they were not exactly smoking guns all right and you know he had this very very aggressive critique of the guy like he was you know the top villain of everything and then all of his followers went into Sirota's replies and were insulting his wife and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, like you said, he is a little heavy on the block finger. Okay. And he shouldn't have done that to savvy, but you know, like, frankly, if I were him knowing the way, you know, he takes all that stuff personal and somebody was in there sending all their followers to, you know, insult his wife, like, you know, it's a, it's not that far beyond understanding why he reacted poorly to it and, and mass blocked the, the RBN guys. Uh, like, if you come at people like that, they're not going to listen to you. Like, you have to have your, your critiques very specific. You have to be certainly willing to have a conversation, a productive conversation, the way you do. And, you know, like... David is generally very receptive to those kinds of conversations. He has them all the time. He even has them on his calling. And, you know, they'll, you know, sit and discuss these things out. And, you know, at least, you know, if they don't come to a consensus, then they can agree to disagree. But, you know, I do feel like he is like the thing that he kind of doesn't accept that yet that we accept. And keep in mind, he's from a slightly older age cohort. Um, and has been drinking the Kool-Aid a little longer. It's that, you know, he hasn't accepted that kind of the system is, is like burning down around us, not just the democratic party, like our whole, uh, socio-political structure, like the building is on fire and, uh, you know, he's not the type of guy that's going to sit there while the, you know, flames erupt around him, like the dog in the meme and say, this is fine. But, he has to smell the smoke before he'll really fully understand and start acting like the the whole building's on fire. He still has some kind of loss aversion type uh, clinging, even though his instincts are all correct. Like if you look at his tweets and his posts and his articles, like they are attacking the corruption and they're not afraid to say that a disproportionate percentage of the corruption these days, like the worst sorts of, uh, of shit is, is actually, you know, in the democratic party, like they're, they're, you know, in many ways, uh, you know, it's a different kind of evil, 
but it's definitely evil and you know we shouldn't be putting up with it like he's he's been like one of the best people out there on that and i want this guy on my team yeah i mean like i agree with a lot of that i do think not that anyone needs to care you don't have to care i'm not asking you to care like you're completely allowed to say fuck david sagrota and harass him all day go for it that's your life but i personally feel like he is sensitive and he does stay online and read a lot of mentions and he's a he's he is a sensitive person that's none of your business you don't have to care i'm not saying that to get you to lay off david sagrota but from my perspective I as a like it's like it's like I'm watching a like defenseless deer get kicked and I'm not saying he's defenseless deer like he's a grown man he can stand up for himself but like he is vulnerable in ways that I am I'm built for the internet not everyone is built for a certain tolerance of pushback okay and so yeah like if you come at someone with a certain attitude you cannot expect them to just take all of your concerns in good faith he is not a public figure he does not have an obligation to keep his mentions open and just assume every you know like him being online isn't permission to everyone scream at him all the time i completely get that like i'm not trying to be like oh you don't have a lot of followers so you don't get it but like there is something there's a there's a there's a corner you turn where it can feel very overwhelming just logging on like i don't i don't even log on to the bad faith twitter anymore because i haven't muted enough people there and it is like too stressful. I'll hop on there to retweet a couple of things that I've tweeted from my own account and then I get out of there. Cause I don't want to see some stuff. Like I have mental health too. I'm allowed to have mental health. <laughs> David's wrote it is allowed. Yeah, to I'm told that number health. is 10,000 followers. Yeah, I'm told that, that the barrier, like basically, I, I think it was Kylie Brakeman who told me. Uh, that basically the magic number is like 10,000 followers. Once it gets beyond that, like even if 1% of them are coming in there and being aggressive with you, like your mentions fill up and it becomes overwhelming and it feels like the whole world is against you. So So like that's not to say that anyone is right or wrong in their criticisms, but I've had this happen to me where when I was a smaller account, I spoke in a way that I would speak if I never expected to actually meet somebody. And then life happened and I realized that someone had a grudge against me because I was wiling out when I was basically an anonymous account. And I gotta just own that. That was me. I was, I said something rude. I was high, I might've been right, but I was acting like a bitch about it. And so now I have to live with the consequences of my actions. Okay? Like there were times when I would like regularly dunk on the pod save guys and say they're just ass and trash. And I obviously very much disagree with the politics of much of what happens is said on the PodSafe podcast. But these days, sometimes I wish, oh, I could have handled myself a little differently because how productive would it be to be able to have a conversation about my disagreements on one of our respective shows? I would love to invite Levitt, that's the funny one, right? Yeah, Levitt on the show, you know, and have a a conversation, but to the extent that he is like resentful of me because I was, a, you know, acting big and bad on the internet i can't really be mad at him for that that doesn't mean he's right yeah and but, like i can't be mad like that's just life i don't know why people are acting like the rules of common sense and human behavior don't operate just because it's the internet well and that is yeah that is a thing that people forget and that, that was a thing i kind of learned early on joining twitter 
that like, you know, it's easy to forget that people with blue checks by their name are people and they have feelings. In fact, you know, like I've often told the story, like one of the first times that I started saying this, this site is awesome was when I got blocked by Jason Johnson. <laughs> okay. And it was like, I didn't even say anything nasty or rude. It was just like a really kind of skillful, no curse word dressing mm-hmm. down. And of of some, you know, really dumb point he made, like some really shit Libby point. And like, I was amazed. I'm like, oh, my God, like normally I'm just shaking my fist at the television. OK, and impotently and nobody's hearing me. But like now I can shake my fist at him directly. And he actually like if he blocked me, that meant he yeah. saw it. And but then I started realizing, you know, like that there's there's because there's no guardrails. Like it's it's like a raw nerve. It's just exposed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like all of these people can, you know, have direct access to, you know, pretty important people. And that included yourself and David Sirota, who are two of the earliest follows I made on here because I was uh I joined after I was burnt out about the end of the Bernie campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, these two are are the people that represent what I thought was best about the campaign. And, you know, I did like exactly what you just said was what I noticed right away. And I thought it would be, you know, maybe I shouldn't say it out loud, but like that difference between the way you handled, uh, you know, hecklers and criticism and the way Sirota did. I'm like, "Hmm, wouldn't it be nice if we could just channel a little of that free energy into. uh, But like it's just it was also. Like it was one of those things I noticed kind of early on. And Sirota was also another one who was good to me early on when I was an account with no followers. And, you know, uh, but like I did notice he took all that stuff personally and he was so surprised that people don't act on Twitter the way they do in real life. And, you know, people would say things to him that, you know, no sane human being would say to your face. But like to him, it's almost like this is an extension of him. This is, you know... You know, he treats people, you know, the way I guess that he would expect to be treated in real life and is surprised when it was otherwise. And he he just there's no changing that. So, you know, that's that's a thing. But I mean, also, like the fact is, this is not somebody that I I think it's super helpful to drive away, especially when you don't have either a uh, uh, a well thought out criticism that he could engage with and maybe resolve the differences or, um, you know, just it it comes across and maybe they don't mean it that way. And like, I think CJ had a very good explanation for where he's coming from in terms of, you know, he gets, uh, you know, sometimes his, his feelings come out a little raw because of his traumatic experiences, but Mm -hmm. it comes across when you, when you don't have those, you know, kind of well thought out, very specific critiques like clout chasing. And that also was why, you know, the thing about Marianne was also right, at least at the time, like I said, if they want to come back and bring the receipts, uh, you know, that's something, you know, it'd be nice to to discuss with Marianne. And maybe you're not going to change your mind. And I I gotta say, I, I don't mean this in like, a, I don't mean this in a coercive way because I'm not trying to tell anybody how to communicate. I think, like I said, I think there's actually a lot of room for that kind of spirited passion. And I'm glad they're like this. I listen to RBN because I enjoy and appreciate it. But I also got to say, like, there's a world where I would be happy, more than happy, to broker a conversation 
You're mad that Zeruta blocked you? Okay, let me see if I can help with that. Let me see if I can moderate, get in a position where Zeruta will agree to talk to you on one of the, either on your show, my show, his show, this show, whatever. And, and we can work some of this stuff through. And you, or at least you can air your grievances and he can respond and you can just agree to disagree. Maybe you don't work anything through. But I am a little less inclined to even make that attempt if all I can show David about, about like who it is that wants to confront him is someone who maybe hasn't been so specific about their criticisms, seems to have been making some criticisms that are overbroad and it could be easily read as unfair, et, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I wanna help it. Like at a certain point you get yourself into a position where it's impossible. Like I, I, I am now insulting Sirota for suggesting that he engage with, with in a certain way. Right. If you you're not going to stick your neck out if you can't trust the other person to behave right. themselves in a way that yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and that's that's kind of like I just I I wanted to call in and tell you like basically that uh, I am not PMC. Okay, obviously you know what I do for a living and what my station in life is, and I uh, agree with you. And like I I feel like uh, it seems like the people that were mad about. Uh, that response of yours were uh, very, very vocal in the in the chats and in the replies and and all that stuff. And I, uh, you know, kind of I wanted to, you know, I didn't want you to feel gaslit. No, it's fine. Like I, you I, like I completely yeah. get it. And, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a trap. It's a catch twenty two. Not a trap. I don't mean like someone's trying to trap me. I don't mean to say that. But like it's a catch twenty two because. You know, what, what is the line? And, and again, this isn't, them, no one said this. This is just like a pure hypothetical. But purely hypothetically, let's say a very virtuous guest came very on. Let's say that they are a homelessness advocate who themselves has been unhoused, who is also a union organizer, and who also passes out needles to addicts on Skid Row, and who has lived an amazing life where they have suffered greatly and is still trying to give back to everyone. Okay, just a wonderful human being. And I have them on the show. And that person says, you know, I fucking hate David Sirota. He's a sellout and he's a piece of shit. And I also think he's an, an ug he's ugly and, you know, his uh, feet smell. <laughs> you know, like just said a bunch of shit. Like, again, this is this is not at all what happens. And I'm not accusing anybody of doing anything like this, but I'm just doing a thought experiment to like a maximalist version of a scenario, because at what point am I expected to stand in and quote unquote defend David Sirota? And what point am, am I, is me doing so throwing the very virtuous guest who I genuinely like and admire under the bus? Yep. I feel you on that one. Well, I, if, if I could just add to that, um, Brie, I think, I just have to say the episode today with RBN and this conversation and the fact Sirota came up, I think it's been um, extremely Sorry, I don't know when I got kicked out. But all I'm trying to say is at a certain point, it's like my humanity kicks in. Maybe that makes me a bad person, I'm sorry. But at some point, my humanity kicks in. I don't want anybody saying, like, I there's to me, there's a clear difference between criticism and a more passion-driven rebuke. That's all. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with the passion, but like it's a slippery line between is Dave, David Sirota a weak critic of the Democratic Party or is David Sirota weak? 
All I wanted was some clarification because I can't, I'm not going to, I don't like David Sirota's week. I don't think that's an appropriate thing to say. But if it's David Sirota has been a weak advocate for the left because X, Y, and Z, obviously that's perfectly appropriate in my view, on my show. That's all I'm saying. Everyone can go say what they want to say wherever else. But if someone came on my show and said, RBN sucks, they're losers, they're dumb, da 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 I would also not allow that on my show. Now, again, I'm not saying that RBN said that about David Sirota, but there are legitimate critiques you can make of, Dave, of RBN, as there are of all of us. And I would hate it if someone came in and mixed those critiques up in a way that I felt like was personal and attacking them as human beings. Now, like, it's a fine line. I'm not saying that's what they did or that's what they were trying to do. I thought it was a great episode. I thought that we got where we needed to go. And I really enjoyed it and appreciated them. And I hope they come back. But, like, all, all I was trying to do was make sure the conversation stayed in those lines. That's it. It's not called defending someone or anything. It's just guiding a conversation that is productive and specific and doesn't slip into generalities and ad hominems as is sometimes a risk in conversation. Not that they did it, not that it happened, but it is a risk that seemed to be presenting itself to me. That's all. Yes, I agree. And I think those lines were drawn at exactly the right spot. And uh, I also am delighted I got to uh, share my call-in slot with uh, with neoliberal <laughs> tears, who has been your co-host the entire time and a fabulous one at that. Yeah. But look, I appreciate you calling in. I really don't understand why we have to talk about David Saruta at all. Um, just for the record, it's very, I think it's a real waste of time, to be honest. Uh, feel free just to not like him and do it privately on your own time. I, I don't care. <laughs> we, do, we truly do not have to talk about David Sirota. Um Amen. But thank you for calling in, Jonathan. All right. Bells. Bells, welcome to the show, co-hosted by me and Neoliberal Tears. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, Bree. Just want to say, Neoliberal Tears, if you interrupt me the way you interrupted John, <laughs> we're fighting. Bells, why are you so quiet? Damn it. Why does my phone do this? How about now? Is that any better? I think that's a little bit better. Oh my gosh. Hold on a second. I mean, I can hear you. If, if you, if, if other people can hear you, then it's okay if it's quieter, but it's like, quieter than everybody else how about now yeah you're still quiet but if, if other people can hear you just go ahead i hate this app anyway um yeah i don't know i have a pretty long topic that i want to talk about but i'm gonna save it for another call in because it's been a long night um so tonight i want to talk about masking and some of like the way we talk about it because it's kind of frustrating to me the way it always gets brought up because masking is just like super basic like level one thing to me um and i think the reason why everybody hates it is because they're uncomfortable and they look like shit so <laughs> like why don't I, I i really feel like if we just got all our artists and all of our engineers all into one room and they're like hey Make this look cool and make it comfortable. Everybody would be cool with it. You could give all the liberals, like, some Harry Potter masks <laughs> and some Marvel masks. 
and fuck it, you could let the fucking conservatives have American flag masks and puncher masks, whatever. Um, and you could like let let's let's get some fucking adjustable like for for your nose. You know what I'm saying? So with people with wide noses, you can make it a little wider. People with big jaws, whatever. <laughs> this whole like oh, but they don't work, and like oh, they well, why do we have to wear them all the time? You wouldn't be bitching about it if we just made them more comfortable, and then we could talk about the real shit like ventilation and like. Mm-hmm the actual like systemic shit that we could do instead of this like level one basic this is like an individual thing it's just it's really frustrating to me yeah so masks uh work the question is uh how much you know what kind of mask and how much and under what conditions and it is it is frustrating like i feel a little bit the same way about the vaccine conversation like it's very hard to get someone to squarely answer you this with numbers, but you know, vaccines not diminishing transmissibility the way we thought they were. It's not exactly the same thing as vaccines have no effect on transmissibility, but we've all kind of given that one up and just accept, you know, know, okay, vaccines don't prevent you from getting the virus. I mean, that's the big takeaway because obviously they were saying something very different in the beginning, but the mask one, I, I was reading an article recently about how if you, accept the framework that we're never going to get to zero COVID, then the the real factor is like diminishing people who have the worst effects like hospitalization and long COVID and also trying to keep just transmissibility down, just trying to keep the spread at reasonable levels. And the thing that does that is masks, not vaccines. Like masks are way more effective in that than vaccines. So, so much of the focus publicly being on whether or not people got, got vaccinated and vax mandates you know, I think that in some ways the battle should have been about mask and not necessarily mask mandates, but really trying to be more clear about the narrative that they are effective in stopping the spread of COVID. And if you don't want to get the jab or if you don't want to get a booster or if you don't want it, like, fine. But, like, the the real issue is then you should absolutely be wearing a mask. And I, I do wish that we had done more in terms of, like, you know, when the, when the COVID first happened, there was all of these, like, kind of expensive, clear mask, jetsony helmet type things. And I thought that was going to really evolve into something where you would have little personal air filter devices or clear masks so you see people's faces and, and stuff like that. And that didn't happen. We just went to, like, masklessness. And I did, I Googled recently, and I had was under the impression that the kind of medical masks, the little papery ones, weren't that effective. They're way more, I mean, they're not nearly as effective as KN95s, but they're way more effective than I thought they were going to be. They're like, they sp- they if they like prevent 50% of transmission or something as compared to like 95% of transmission. But like, that's a lot. I would like to half my odds of getting COVID. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I don't even, I don't even think that like focusing on that is even worth it. Like, I th- I feel like it just should be this like five minute thing like hey they work um, these are your percentages here and then that's it like you then you just completely move on like I just it's such a it seems like such a basic thing to me like and the 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 biggest reason I feel like people get so fed up with it is because they suck to wear and they look awful like I invested in some cloth masks like really early on um, like some special designs one and they look cool to me i i really enjoyed wearing them and like 
it, it, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't like an inconvenience that I was wearing it all the time. Like, because I know with the, like the surgical masks, the papery ones, mm-hmm. like if I didn't have one of the cloth ones on me, you know, I, that would be like a backup that I would mm-hmm. have like in my car. Mm-hmm. And the fucking elastic rubber bands, they kill my ears. Well, me too. Yeah. Like those things suck ass to wear. I hate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, like the cloth ones that I bought, they have like a cool like space print thing on it. And it's like you like tie them around the back of your head. So it's not like it's pressuring your ear. And like mm-hmm. I like I I really feel like that's all it would take is just if if they like and I know like mass producing that, that would be like difficult, obviously. But even if it was just something simple, like. Because this like one size fits all shit. It doesn't work with clothes. It definitely doesn't work with masks. So like, I don't know. Even even like, oh, but do they work or not? Like, I don't even think that's even worth talking about that much. Because I feel like it's pretty obvious that they work. It's just like, to the what degree do they work? And also, it's not like the mask is like the end all be all. That's that's not even what I want to focus on. Because it's. They're like, yeah, a surgical mask, like 50%, whatever, but like, that's just for one person. And I'm, I'm worried about everybody, right? I want the fuck that fucking school building to get like proper ventilation. And like, that's what I'm worried about. Like this yeah. fucking mask shit is, ugh. <laughs> I yeah. hate it. Yeah. To- I totally agree. Um, Thank you for calling in, Bells. I appreciate yeah, your yeah, patience. Sure. I know you've been in the queue for a long time. All right, I'm I'm really excited. There's been a real, a real. I mean, I'm judging. Obviously, I'm just completely gendering people based on their icons. I'm sorry, but I'm excited about the prospect of a woman caller. <laughs> hey, Zainab. Hey, Bree. How's it going? You're, I'm doing you're, very uh, well. <laughs> it's a late night for you, especially after the long uh, RBN uh, chat today. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch it either. Usually I'm, you know, I'm watching, but I, I caught this call and I, I saw the line bourgeoisie leftist, the real problem. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I have been talking about everywhere I go. Like, mm-hmm. and there's going to be people on this call, like Jonathan and Allison and a bunch of others that are going to be like, oh, God, Zane is going to go through it again. But <laughs> You know, you you know a little bit about my background, you know, so I'll go through it just really quickly. I I was the comms person for Justice Democrats. Then I was the comms director for Brand New Congress. I coached AOC. I'm the one who wrote all of her early speeches and all that shit. Mm. I used to be on the phone with her to like three in the morning going over stuff. That's part of why her speeches have changed. But I also worked with Cori Bush, Paula Jean Swearingen, Amy Valella, you know, most of the people we talked about tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I worked almost a hundred congressional campaigns. And on top of that, I was an investigative journalist for five years. I've talked to 20,000 voters in call in knocking doors, probably more than that. I know at least 20,000 on calls, but I also did door knocking on the ground organizing. I read the, I led the abolish ice campaign, Medicare for all the um, launch of the green new deal um, before AOC launched it. I'm talking about when the candidates were still running in 2018 and a bunch of other stuff like that. Right. Mm. What I have learned in working at all these different organizations that I keep stepping into is we have a gap. We have a, a major gap because 
in a lot of these organizations, who can volunteer and often who gets platformed in these organizations are people that, and please don't take this to offense, but people that are from Ivy League schools, people that have a certain education and a background and a way that they carry themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Other people are looked down upon. Mm -hmm. The people that get the voice in the platforms are those people. So that's one of the reasons we were trying to run, you know, of course, regular working people for Congress that are nominated by other communities and all of that. Mm -hmm. But what I found over and over again is that I'm hearing a lot of assumptions from pundits and a lot of assumptions about what the voter block warrants, how mm -hmm. to message them. Now I've been messaging for a decade. Mm -hmm. So I didn't message by pulling assumptions out of my butt. Like I messaged by talking to people and the big key is listening. I listened to people and I adjusted and we changed our messaging and, and, you know, we learned from them. We learned the pressure points. And what I found is we agree on most things like this whole MAGA communist thing. It's based on that fallacy that half the country is right wing and half the country's let, you know, left wing when two thirds of the country are independent and most of us agree. And, and this whole anti-woke thing, that's bonk too, because most people care about social issues. 52% mm. of our country are women. I'm sorry. They care about domestic violence. They care about rape. They care about abortion. The people that are against it, it's like 10% of our country. And so there's all these misconceptions that in part come through mainstream media, but also in part come from you know, the people that are speaking sometimes aren't listening and sometimes they're elitist that think that they know without listening. They're just going on complete assumptions. And it's one of my biggest frustrations. But on top of that, we have some of those same people that will walk into spaces like there's this group called Middle Seat, right? And they do all the comms. They did all the comms for Beto. They do mm -hmm. all the time for Justice Democrats candidates. They've made a hundred million dollars this year, Brie, or this through these last two election cycles, a mm. hundred million dollars. And they were two, you might've worked with them. They were Bernie Sanders staffers. So we also have people that were part of that echelon that are capitalizing off of our pain, but not listening to our pain, not talking about policy, not leading with that. We don't need a figurehead. We don't need heroes. What we need is we need to lead with policy because that's what the voters actually care about. And we need to talk about the pain points where we can agree. And we need to not be afraid to talk about things like generational poverty because we're afraid to isolate that whatever the PMC, I don't even agree with the PMC class thing, but whatever it is, the, the people that have the wealth that can wait for incrementalism, when, when people like me who are from poverty hear that, we get totally disheartened and mm -hmm. we want to give up and we become nihilistic and we don't want to vote for people. So mm -hmm. it's like, there has to be a balance there. And that, that to me is why I think there's, there is a big problem with, with bourgeoisie leftist because there aren't people of menial class that are platformed ever. You know, I'm a journalist. I I'm an award-winning journalist and I couldn't get a job. You know why? Because mm -hmm. I went to Southeastern Kentucky university. And because I'm competing with people that have degrees from places and, and I would be PMC, I guess, cause I have a college degree, but I can't get a job. I was bartending mm -hmm. after I did all that work, all those years I'm bartending and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is there's a gap on the left. There's a gap of voices of people from struggle. And if we don't try to platform those people and we don't try to listen and we don't listen, 
we're going to continue to lose and we're going to not be rallying. The thing is, we got to we don't have to convince people because we're all already there. We just have to talk about how we're going to get there and we got to talk about the solutions. And we're not talking about the solutions because every call I'm on to try to organize now, everyone's talking about messaging and how to convince people. And I'm like, y'all don't need to convince people. You just need to tell them how we're going to help. What are we all going to do together? Not what are you going to do for them? Don't talk at them. But what are we going to do together and what can we achieve together? And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we're focused on all these federal races and the presidency and all of that. While we're doing that, they're taking away our state houses and they're passing insane legislation on the state level all throughout the country. And we're really getting screwed over and we're not paying attention to that. And the right knows it. And they're just they're just railroading us. And so we have to start paying attention. to. I know it's the shiny thing to talk about those kinds of things and it gets the clicks and all of that. But, man, people got to start being aware of what's going on at the state level because it is not good. I think that I think that's a, a really good point. And it's something that I heard Sabby say recently that, you know, so much of what we are fighting for on a national level has been achieved she's from massachusetts she lives in massachusetts has been achieved on a state level because of people who have focused on local politics and that the kind of critique of electoralism etc is often largely really a critique about um national races congressional races and the presidency and that there is so much amazing stuff that really can be achieved in a very short time frame and including outside of the context of a democratic party, people running as third parties and getting into positions that aren't really partisan, um, that that's part of why it seems so wasteful for the focus to be other, other, other places. And so I think that that is good advice. And I like how you frame that and getting people to buy into the idea of what are we going to do together? And not what am I going to do for you? Cause I also think there's a lot of jadedness when you start to go into places and make promises to people because they have been disappointed so many times before. And that's a good way to kind of flip the expectation. Um, right. And the right wing, people don't understand. The right wing are making these same promises. They're out here promising health care to everybody. They're out here promising. In Kentucky, they're out here promising that they're going to fix the domestic violence problem. So, you know, they're out here promising... Um, they're out here promising that they're going to fix our education system. They're promising free tuition, free uh, state colleges, <laughs> and they're breaking those promises. So the weird thing is, is that there are Republicans making these same promises and people don't realize it who aren't from these rural areas. But people that are from these states like this, we're like, yeah, Republicans make these same promises, too. And that's crazy. So what that tells us is everyone kind of wants the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And the time for persuasion is in the rear door mirror. I do think I, I do think that your point about the Republicans making these false promises is part of why there is an emphasis on, like I said to the earlier caller, there are these moments that can expose who is really fighting for folks, who is captured and unable to reflect the interests of the groups that they've been elected to represent. I think this moment where Democrats can't even get a vote on stopping congr- Congress members from insider trading, it's not just about this one bill or this one behavior, but it is an amazing opportunity to expose the corruption in both parties and for 
our elected progressives to be helping the American people to recognize what what you can actually look to to see if someone's going to be committed to you. You know, look to be checking for where the, they source their money and what their actual voting record is. And, you know, force of all of these moments that are kind of exposure moments, I think are important because they start to clarify and help cut through some of the, you know, the, 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 the false promises that are out there and help people feel a sense that there is a utility in engaging on the local level and in being involved in projects. But that's part of what's so disappointing about it for people when these opportunities emerge and everyone stays silent. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, I agree that there's not, we don't need to convince anybody of 